This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com <laughs> yeah, Squarespace and use the offer code PROBABLYSCIENCE. Probably science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am joined in Bluebell Ranch by Mr. Andy Wood. Yes. And hello. Jesse Case. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Welcome back, everyone. Welcome it's, back. It's sunny. It's almost too sunny. It's too sunny. Yeah. Andy is squinting. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it in his voice, but he's the one facing directly into the sun. This was a poorly, this was a poorly planned layout of seating arrangements. It was. We, we, it was yeah. avoidable. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll hear that, like the sun will start to go down. In the course of this, and you'll hear Andy's voice get more relaxed. Yeah, become as the squint reduces. Turn into like a seventies AM DJ, <laughs> listening to smooth Michael McDonald or something. Yeah, absolutely. Is he absolutely. still called Smooth Michael McDonald? <laughs> That's his full name. He actually got that legally changed. It's no longer in in quotation marks. It's just Smooth Michael McDonald. Yeah, I guess. The is there like a crunchy Michael McDonald that he likes to distinguish himself from? Well, there is the Mad TV Michael McDonald, of course. There's the comedic ah, actor. Right. It's important to keep those two separate. I was I did I didn't realize there were two different people. <laughs> I thought uh, Michael McDonald, the musician, was also a sketch yeah. performer. That's why they always ended every sketch with "Taking it to the streets." Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I never saw the show, so yeah, I just we got to go back to recording yeah. at night, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shambles. Wait, what are we doing? Yeah, I got the sun directly in my kicked eyes, her off with a sweet Jesse. Michael McDonald riff. It wasn't a very good Michael McDonald. <laughs> Killing it. Killing yeah. it. We have we have some people to thank before we uh, get going fully. Yes, if we get. That we do. Uh, yes. By the way, if anybody wants to, people really quick. If anybody wants to uh, help us, just cover our very basic costs. It doesn't take much to put this together, but it's a non-zero amount of money, and you can help us out by going to probablyscience.com and clicking on donate. Um, the Squarespace power probablyscience.com. Prob- sure, by Squarespace. Sure. Uh, Actually, and also, if you sign up for a new account with Squarespace, of course, that helps us. Also, um, we've talked about this before, and it didn't really hit home that it's a real thing until last week when I looked at the numbers. But if you go to our Amazon affiliate link and shop as you normally do after clicking on that link, a substantial amount of money gets kicked back to us, and it costs you nothing. Like, I, I kind of can't believe it's Yeah, a I hadn't looked at the account for a while, but uh, thank you, guys. A few of you bought some clearly... Like decent amounts of stuff, and we can't see what you buy. Uh, but I'm assuming it's it's a lot of sex toys. We've been told by Amazon that a <laughs> yeah. lot of sex toys are being bought. It is weird figuring out what our listeners actually buy. But I like, uh, yeah. huge amount of like you're a well lubricated listenership. <laughs> no, well we have a very well lubed. I I'd say the most well lubed fan base. I've, I mean, Amazon I've, directed us con- like contacted us directly and uh, a, and thanked us. Thank you for having the most for- lubricated fans. So, uh, exactly. so thanks, guys. Yeah. But seriously, we've been pissing around. But anytime you do shop anything on Amazon and you fancy just clicking on that little link first, makes absolutely no difference to the cost you pay for anything. But we get a small commission, and it does add up uh, to a not inconsiderable amount of money. So thank you. That's helped us buy new equipment and pay for the yacht that we're currently broadcasting on top of in Andy's and Jesse's back garden. So like it we're in the backyard still, but we're any sense to put the yacht in our backyard? It was a mistake. With hindsight, that was a waste of a yacht, but. But fuck it, free yacht. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, also helping us with that. Thank you very much, um, Eddie uh, Tell Weston, who donated this week, um, and uh, Jonathan Denholm, uh, and um, our Western Australian uh, chemical engineer listener, Michael uh, 
Arojo? Arojo. Arojo. I'm wait. sorry. We're, we're butchering your name. Yes. But now, he's, he's a longtime listener, and he said it's his favorite podcast. He spelled that word with a U just yeah. to stick it to us. Now, stick is his name... I'm very happy about that spelling. Thank you, Let Michael. me ask this. Is his name Michael Arajo High, or is that the beginning of the email? I don't know. I think it's Michael... Michael Araujo, hi, and he starts his email, long-time listener. Uh, or, so, you know, I mean, obviously you could say, hi, comma, long-time listener. Right, right. No, no, I think he's Michael Araujo, hi. And, um, and then also Brian Macken, who is... Brian Macken, hi. Uh, Brian Macken, who is Irish. Related. And we've got a few patriotic donors uh, who've started they've, up they've policies. We've promised got, we, to donate as long as we have people of a certain nationality. They yes, are lubricated, they are nationalist, <laughs> and there are people. So we, we've had a, a Scottish donor who donates every time someone Scottish is on the show, a New Zealander, and now thanks to Tara Flynn being on the show, uh, we have an Irish regular donor. Brian Mackin said he will totally so, be the guy who donates every time there's an Irish So guest. thank you, Brian. Yeah. And maybe we need to have more uh, foreign guests on and challenge you guys to step it up. Absolutely. But thank you all of that. Yeah, we really, uh, we really, really appreciate it. And um, and if you can't donate, don't sweat it. Give us a good review on iTunes. That does help a lot. Also, it helps a lot. It helps a lot, and it balances out our bad ones, um, <laughs> which we need. Which we we, we don't really read. We don't read them. Jason. No, we don't read them. It doesn't hurt our feelings. Exactly. We have not. I, look, I don't. It hasn't kept me up ever. <laughs> I don't look. I'm not sensitive. I feel like. Well, you know who's you know who's a recent uh, <laughs> a recent figure on recently a member of the podcasting community. Who's that? Our guest today, Jesse. Our guest today, who has a degree in psychology, a master's in neurobiology. Are you talking about Kara Pinta? I'm talking. About- <laughs> Are you talking about Kara Nina? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the third one. Kara Ka- Santa Maria. Kara Santa Maria. Oh, oh, oh my God! You got it. Hey. Hey. Kara, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having I, me. I had even more intro for you that Jesse cut off. Oh, that's I'm, okay. I'm sorry. You have an actual pedigree uh, that most of our guests don't. Like, well, most of our guests are comedians. Some are scientists. Some straddle the line between comedy and entertainment, like you have so. Aptly done. You were a former senior science correspondent for Huffington Post, a frequent guest on Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, which I want to hear about. That's incredible. Um, you currently, currently host, or currently host, whatever, uh-huh. a too. nightly news and talk show on Pivot TV called T- Take Part Live, and you just launched your podcast, Talk Nerdy, last month. Is yep. that all correct? That, that's all correct. That that's all correct. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. I did not know that Neil deGrasse Tyson had like a sort of Hollywood celebrity rumor show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Star Talk. <laughs> Star Talk. <laughs> Stars, they're just like us. Aniston's at it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it seems like he should be talking about astrophysics. It's nope. funny though because he does have a fair amount of celebrities on his show to talk about astrophysics. No, who's totally. the biggest non-science celebrity you've been on that show with? Oh well, whenever you go on, you're not really on with other people. So, oh, so you are the celebrity. Me, you're on there. <laughs> I saw I saw like a, I saw something on YouTube today that was you and um, Wyatt Cenac and Eugene oh, Merman. Like yeah, a live that's one. we did the live one. Oh, that's yeah. true. So so it used to be you would go and you would be in studio and it would be Neil and me and Neil's either co-host or comedian. So Chuck Nice used to come on a whole lot and okay. he would kind of. Um, be the color comedian on the show and we would talk about science of whatever Um, but then you're right he started to do these live episodes at the Bell House in uh, Brooklyn and so it was me Wyatt Cenac Eugene Merman and oh 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 what's her name what is it I'll remember soon. Oh, she's going to be a so disappointed. Comedian, but Another scientist. Yes. She doesn't listen. Heather Berlin. Yes. Heather okay. Berlin. Okay. Sorry, Heather. I know your name. We're friends. <laughs> right, right. Sure, sure. The sun is very bright. The sun is I'm bright. I'm just going to blame the sun every time. Blame the sun. I can't think of you're getting You're getting backburnt. I'm getting backburnt. Getting... Yeah, it's okay, though, because I've got my hood. Yeah. So, so now that we've had you on, it's it's like a foregone conclusion. Like Neil, Neil is going to be on soon, right? 
Sure. NG, NG, After NG, I get NG, him on NG. my podcast, okay. maybe we can get him over here. Neil's very busy. You know, he's doing a TV show that's probably like the probably... biggest show ever that ever was. Have you guys been watching it, by the way? I watched some of it. I'm behind on episodes now. I'm caught. I'm caught up now. I'm a big fan. The first episode didn't. I was a little bit like iffy on it, and then like the, by the third episode about Hallie and Newton, I was like, "This is amazing. This is exactly what I want." I mean, it's obviously, I think, an important thing that Neil is doing. I think that those of us in the science community or those of us who grew up kind of obsessing over Cosmos with Carl Sagan are always going to be the most critical right. of the show because the original like sings so much for us. The new show, I think, is wonderful. I don't necessarily know if people with science degrees are the audience for the new show. Of course, of you know, course. a lot of it's not really like we're learning a lot of new stuff, but I think it's, it's it's exciting to watch and what it's doing for our culture, I think is really important. Yeah. And it's fun to see Neil in kind of new and different in places. Flight of the Navigator style space. Exactly. In yeah. the uh, ship of the imagination. Of that must have cost a fortune to actually no, I know. To build, that. To build a spacecraft, right? And send it into the solar system. I can't even shoot. imagine the Amazon money uh, yeah. you have to receive <laughs> yeah, to get that crazy. kind of No, we're talking vehicle. Seth MacFarlane money. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're, I think he's that okay. That is bizarre. When I first saw that name in the credits, I was like, oh, what is this going to be? Well, because you know, they're really good friends and he's super close to Andrew and Carl Sagan's widow, who is uh, one of the executive producers on the show. Wow. So that's kind of how that whole relationship came to be uh last night uh i watched um oculus which is the new horror film that uh that's which is the new horror film that uh friend of the show karen gillen is in yeah, star, yeah. is the star of yeah sure. uh, horror film uh but at the beginning like the opening credits where you see the producer's title cards one of the main funders were is the wwe she's <laughs> <laughs> so like unlikely funders this sure. is a you know uh-huh. a, it's. I, I guess they're going for mainstream success, and it's. Uh, yeah. It's got some big names in it, as, as well as just Karen. Right. But it is. They've... Like no one breaks chairs over anyone's back. In the film. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't I know. know if that's a spoiler. If you're planning to see it, I do see it. It's a fun film. No. But like... there are no. I mean, everyone is wearing nothing but like tights with tassels hanging off sure. the film. That was the one concession they made. Sesame Street did Schindler's List. Did you guys know that? <laughs> it was the weirdest. Just that. Yeah. It really took me out of the film. It was brought to you by the letters S and S. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the With number the six spike. million. Are we doing that as well? Andy. There it is. Jokes. There oh, man. I want to give you a gold star. Yes. No, <laughs> okay. no, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no, but the WWE thing that reminds me. Um, Happy Passover, guys! All right, let's. Uh, I had to have. Um, I had to have my non-Jewish girlfriend tell me that Passover is about to happen. You're such a bad. I'm a bad. You're the worst. Terrible. To Jewish. By the way, I, w- I was at. Uh, I, I got breakfast this morning at the deli around the corner, and uh, this like Jewish grandfather was talking to his grandson, and I, the part of the conversation I overheard was just him saying like Easter is a, it's a goofy holiday and explaining <laughs> it to his grandson. I'm like, slow your roll there. Like every religion, we kind of got equal. Like everybody's holidays are goofy. Like these guys next door set up a, a hut in their backyard and live in that for a week once a year. So it's not oh, like Passover. Got a monopoly on, the on more funny. the more kind of orthodox you get, the more in. Insane Passover well, gets. I think a lot of people don't really realize. We've, we've discussed realize. our orthodoxy theories. I don't think and- what is at all goofy about, uh, you know, a time that God sent a large number of <laughs> increasingly bizarre plagues to persuade... And said, I'm only not going to kill your firstborn if you put lamb's blood on your door? That's a yeah, pretty rational guy. Or, or, Wait, wasn't that the Pharaoh thing? Though? That was a Pharaoh, right? No, that Did was, that? God was going to do that. No, no, what? no. Well, well, Pharaoh here's, did here's the, the curse story. thing. Like, I was once a sufficiently good Jew to know this bet. All my knowledge... This is Old Testament, so it's also Christianity. But, yes. Yeah, so, right, but bear in mind, all my knowledge of Old Testament plagues comes from Metallica albums. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, it's only from Metallica lyrics. So... 
Mine's uh, all from just that scene in Magnolia. Like, all I know about is, is okay. the frogs. So here's the deal. Okay. So the Israelis... So the Jews were... Um, they weren't Israelis then. That wasn't a thing. So the Jews were slaves in Egypt. Sure. Uh, and Pharaoh and the Pharaoh was making them do bad things. Like, like, Horat was, like, not, not not a nice slave master. You know, they're... I mean, most slave masters are not good. No, most you most know, slave like, masters have a reputation a, of being nice, kind, but, but he was a bad one. Yeah. Uh, and to help get them out of there, like, uh, here, what, Mo, what, what Moses got God to help do was like, we need to get us up, we need to get out of here. The let my people go. Yeah. Um, rather than just sort of taking them out of the situation, because the Old Testament God in particular was like somewhere between. Bizarre saw style sadist, <laughs> and and or, or just like one of those sort of bad landlords who tries to get people out by just doing increasingly loud building work and he shutting wants off them the power. To quit. Yeah, so what he's he, the guy, he's the boss that's afraid to fire you. Yeah, so he just like sort of qu- he quits like giving you hours yeah. and then sort. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like you know, like a a boyfriend or girlfriend who's too. Like too much of a coward to actually out and out say like we need to end this relationship, so they just start like treating about like just you know shitting on the bed and going I don't know who did that or whatever (laughs) right so I'm like killing their firstborn (laughs) right so that's like that's what so that's what they did like Uh, ah the old the old bed shitting exant you get though that the stories aren't the crazy part right it's like how people are acting in modern times that's crazy like the fact that they're like like really orthodox like Hasidic Jews lining up at the car wash right now so they can vacuum all the breadcrumbs out of their car because it's a sin to be anywhere near bread. Well, here's Wait, a, like, here's a, This is a very common practice. Um, well, here's, here's how you guarantee there isn't any bread anymore uh, or any bread particles in the house. The night before Passover starts, uh, you go around the house with a candle and a feather and you get rid of the bread somehow. Really? That's I mean, my memory's hazy, but I know a candle and a feather. There's also apparently apparently they also sell their breadcrumbs to non-Jews. Yes, yeah. mom- so so long as you can take money from a non-Jew for all of the breadcrumbs in your house, even if they're still there, you don't technically own them. Yeah. And now okay. you're okay. That is absolutely oh, you a thing. Hand them off to them. You're just like they've bought the concept bought of them. The concept like, they, of they, the breadcrumbs. Yeah, like my mom, I don't own the, them. My mom handed would like hand a coin. Like it was something nominal, like you know, like ten pence or something. Would hand it to. A non-Jewish, uh, to a non-Jewish friend, and just go right. You own any bread stuff that's left in the house, and for the next eight days. Yeah, mm. and, and it seems like then why, the why go through the motion of throwing out all the bread and vacuuming all the crumbs out if you're just going <laughs> to sell <laughs> all the? <laughs> well, because 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 that's fair. That's a reasonable it, it, argument. T- t- to be fair, the guy was also correct that Easter with the bunny and the eggs is also a goofy. Yeah, like, ludicrous. No, but that's yeah, like that's like rabbits. Fuck, they make more rabbits. There's <laughs> with eggs. Their eggs, the mammalian eggs. They well, no, make. but this is all a thing. This is all like a co-opted holiday from like pagan traditions right, of like right. celebrating life and birth and youth. And rabbits and eggs are very good symbols it's, of that. It's, that to me is significantly less crazy. Well, I'm just to say. me, I I think it's weird when. I'm not people, saying that Christians are less. No, crazy. I know, but when I'm people those when symbols. people use the when people use the argument of like, oh no, those symbols are valid. The Christmas tree, it's pagan, as if pagans weren't fucking nuts. <laughs> okay, that's true too. But at like, least at least they're celebrating natural. No, you know processes. the pagans, the people that were right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the troll legends. <laughs> Fucking you're under half of the pagan league. The things that stuck around feel a little more scientific to me. Okay. A little more scientific. I I think because there's maybe a historical edge. But like, I mean, my so like, you know, Martin Luther, I know we've discussed this before, but like the the idea that back in the day, uh, 
you know, like the cargo religions in Africa. It was all mm-hmm. word of mouth. It spreads. It gets more and more crazy. It gets further away from the actual sure. uh, words that were written. Germany used to be like as far as you got from Rome. It was, the Germans were like, it took so long. They were so hard to change. Mm-hmm. It was, they were so hard to convert, and, and they were the hardcore pagans. And that's why everything got all mixed, and they brought in all this other shit, right? I'll take your word for it. Okay. Totally true. <laughs> um, so Martin Luther was in Wittenberg, and, uh, but he just like believed in dragons and shit. And he's the guy that founded modern... You know, he's the guy yeah. that founded Protestantism. We can't all be. Uh... But he, but he literally. Uh, this is uh, this is so weird to me. He he had this weird thing with poop. <laughs> oh, yes, on. he did. Yes, he did. I swear, to, dude. I swear to God. And we can do a probably history on this. We should. We're, we're going to talk about it. Martin Luther had this weird poop thing where he would like get in arguments with the devil. He would see the devil and stuff, but it was only when he was taking a shit. And he would throw his feces at the devil. And in Lutheranism, uh, Lutheranism, they've changed it to ink. He would throw ink on Satan, but it was literally called like the shice journals. And he was, I'm serious. And he would like write in his diary while he was taking a shit about seeing the devil and throwing his poop at the devil. He was a fucking mental case. Uh, Yeah, I bet you there's some sort of like psychological explanation, some sort of kind of like vagus nerve situation when he he was like straining and then he had some sort of like vision. A good call. Every time he would try to poo. That was in the the Fisher King. Remember that? Have you seen the Fisher King? Like Robert Williams' Is character, he like mixing who was up crazy. his history here? <laughs> he no, no, not at all. Magical beings when he was taking a crap. No, that was the Fissure King. Oh, okay. That was the huh? See what I did? Ass jokes, guys. The Roid is better, by the way. Excellent. Okay. Follow up from last you, week. See, Karen oh, okay. didn't even have to hear about. I don't know. Yeah. Last week, so she, I don't but know. also she's, a, she's a, a, a master's in neurobiology. She knows about the pain of a hemorrhoid. I'm sure just through text. I've. I don't. You don't often study the hemorrhoids in the neurosciences, but you do study the nervous system and where it all ends. Sure. I'm sure you yeah, can imagine. Sure. I'm sure you can imagine getting hemorrhoids. fucked with a samurai sword. It's oh, a similar feeling. Horrible. Is this a situation that you dealt with last week? Yeah. I'm sorry. I got it down though. I got rid of it. That's good. I'm I'm super pumped about it. That's you know, good. So we actually, no, but I got some we, condolences you, from were you fans. Straining too much. How did how did that happen? To it was you? weightlifting. It was a manly way. Oh, weightlifting, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weightlifting. With his ass. Okay. Yeah, okay. The, the weight of another man's penis. <laughs> <laughs> weightlifting. Very manly. It is. <laughs> this is a science podcast we do, Kara, every week. It's uh-huh, all uh-huh. science. Glad I could contribute. Yes, of course. Well, we do have one other story that we need to get to as well. Well, actually, before we get there, I, I wanted to talk about, uh, last week, in addition to talking about hemorrhoids, there was something else that bothered some and I apologize. Yes, and I apologize about the hemorrhoid um, story last week. Matt but- was very generous. He brought some Pringles with him to the, re- to the recording last week, and I yes. thought we were far enough off mic that we weren't bothering anybody, but it I turns s- out... Maybe that wasn't entirely true, and that did bother a, a longtime listener who's who's written um, before Chip Cherry from, from Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, Ontario. old Good stomping memory. ground. Um, he wrote a, here's a request: uh, please don't eat in the show. I can hear every bit of mouth noise, and I don't know if I have a mental illness, but it bothers me to no end. I get that I have no right to make demands, but do me a solid. Um, and he said he doesn't know if he has this condition called misophonia or if he's just he sent really a link, picky. Like I like but the he fact- sent a link to, <laughs> like to a New York Times article about this disease called misophonia, which more generally refers to just like uh, having any sort of sound that can trigger adverse reactions. But a lot of pe- for a lot of people, it is specifically like mouth noises, eating noises, eating sniffling. and mouth breathing. But I like that. I like the most like. Other shows where someone's like, ah, oh, fucking chewing in the mic. <laughs> like, our listeners go, and here's a scientific reason why it may affect us. <laughs> well, and, and I got to tell you that, that um, it's very hypocritical of me to eat on mic last week, uh, but I, I feel that I am affected by this. You think you have this actual disease? I read the article and it says it normally starts during adolescence and it's like uncontrolled outrage at the sounds of chewing and things like that. And my, uh, my dad has pretty messed up navel, uh, nasal cavity. Uh-huh. Um, Wait, are you talking about lizard? 
Talking about lizard. Have we said this on the air before? Well, that my dad's name lizard. Your dad's name's lizard. No, we haven't okay. discussed it on the air. Before. I found it out last week. I don't think we have to talk about. It. <laughs> yes. Well, everyone, my father's name is lizard. So like, for real, his name is lizard. Yes. So a uh, little more. It's <laughs> both certificates. No, no. Uh, it's Tom, but everyone calls him Lizard. My whole life, I mean, obviously, we, you know, this is before cell phones, so I would have people just call in the house like, hi, is Lizard there? And I'd have to be like, yeah. Like, this is when I was, you know, five. Um, uh, yes, my dad's name sorry is... Sorry to sniffled. I'm sorry, Chip. No, my dad's name is Lizard, and um, my dad, since his name is Lizard, as you can imagine, has had quite a life, thus, kind of a shitty nasal passage. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, he's lived. Lizard okay. has lived. Okay. So, um, speaking of, I, like Gus is going off. Yeah, Gus God. is yeah. Gus is going nuts back there. Uh, I hope he's a firstborn. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, so, so yeah. Um, so my dad would have to sort of mouth breathe while eating, and oh. you know, because you can't. He his nose is messed up, and um, the. I mean, I'm but I'm talking pure white rage fury that I started yeah. developing. And I didn't want to. I mean, we'd eat breakfast together every morning. And eventually, I, I couldn't even. I can't eat with my folks. I got to the point now we have to play music very loud for eating together, and I'm back home. That's wow. funny. This article talked about the same. People that have the disease in extreme cases have to have a constant white noise, and they can't even be in regular interactions that aren't even eating because someone's just regular. Like one person they described in the article, just the sound of a of a pee. Of that, a popping of a P, a popping of a like P. The, the, the letter, the phonetic sound of P, oh. would drive them crazy. That how do they listen to people speak? I, they how can't. do they it's interact? Just, it's it speak. would be debilitating. But it's like speak. yeah, if someone who's really plosive with it. Yeah, yeah. But they uh, they talked about how people often mm. think people who have this disease are just really picky. Um, but one audiologist in the article said, I don't think eight or nine year olds choose to wake up one morning and say, today my dad's chewing is going to drive me insane. Uh, said Marsha wow. Johnson, audiologist from Portland, Oregon, who runs an online forum for people with misophonia. Isn't there another, there's like a sensory integration type disorder where specific sounds don't so much make you like violently angry, but kind of are painful to listen to. So I have a really hard time when somebody's cooking with a metal utensil. So like metal oh. on metal, that scraping, if they're stirring a pot, and some people have no problem with it. Yeah. And it's, like I can almost feel it in my spine. Well, like it's very painful. Like I fingernails leave. down a chalkboard. Sure. Like, I mean, even oh, even thinking about that just now made me and yeah. Andy both shudder. And so I've got right. that one, and I've got the rake on the sidewalk. Like when people are doing yard work and they scratch a rake across the sidewalk, I have to like For roll me, up the windows and play music because it, wow. it hurts my spine. Yeah. Yeah. Like the popular an, show Stomp. Like any <laughs> once, and more, once there's more than fifty people rhythmic like turning household objects into percussive instruments sure. 50 50 is your 50 cutoff 50 is my limit yeah 50 is your anything below that I'm fine are you there really weird? more than 50 people in stomp I have stomp? no idea I just picked I a number a I, really think high I, number. I think I overshot this one <laughs> I think you might you know, you know what's interesting is uh, <laughs> I was hoping I'd, you'd let it go but <laughs> no, you guys were talking it. about the nails on the chalkboard I'm fine with that actually uh, I, I actually somewhat like it but nails on a dry erase board I can't handle Cannot handle it. the dryer. <laughs> yeah, can't handle it. The soundlessness. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look at it, I say, that should be making noise, and it confuses me. <laughs> it bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was interested to find out more about this article, this uh, disease. You can go to soundsensitivity.info to find a, um, an informational site that's run by a man from Canberra, Australia, who has the condition. Canberra. Canberra. Damn it. I knew I was going to stop. And we, we know we have at least one Australian listener. Canberra, Jesus. Yeah. You guys have a lot of white listeners. 
Just saying. How do that's How very do you know presumptuous that? of you, Chip I just, Cherry? I just feel like all Chip Cherry. <laughs> I just feel like all of your specific listeners who only donate when you have other white people on the show. Whoa! <laughs> is that not something that's They're happening? Just from Ireland and Scotland. They're yeah. not and trying to make I, one race. Ireland, or Scotland, something. and New Zealand. And New Zealand. Uh huh. I can't remember who the, who was the New Zealand Maori's uh, Maori, but who was the New Maori. Zealander guest who prompted oh. the donation? Reese. Oh, Reese Darby. Oh yeah, it was Reese. Yeah. That's right. Oh. But uh, wait, is he? From New Zealand, really? Yep. I thought he was from England. Reese, he's yeah. very no, he's very Kiwi. Is he? Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought I remember seeing. That's why he was in Flight of the Concords. Well, no, but that's the thing. I thought I remember right when Flight of the Concords started. There was some sort of behind the scenes thing on HBO. Oh, well, here's the thing. Here's what and he might... used a British accent, and that's the one they picked. That it's like he weird did this that whole he used funny a British thing. accent, but he definitely he the plays... confusion might have come from he. I know Reese. Because for a long time he was based in the UK, he that spent about could be, that could be the situation. So he's in the UK, and yeah, they he haven't... spent about six or seven years doing stand up in Britain. And his wife, uh, or then girlfriend, when they, they first came over, was the booker for a comedy club in the UK as well. Uh, and and I guess maybe he didn't use a British accent, but they had him put on all these different voices. That might be. And he said the voice that they ultimately chose was just his own voice, which then would be and also a the Concords the TV series before it was that it was a radio series on the BBC oh. they did a BBC radio I didn't know that yeah. from New Zealand or were they in no I think the they UK? Were, I think they produced it in the UK oh interesting because the Concords used to come over to the Edinburgh Festival and they did various tours of the UK as well you know what I really like about uh, Flight of the Concords is their face melting solos I really just eat your face off <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> guys is uh, bath salts uh, bath salts, everybody. Oh, is that a um, transition? That was what we called oh, a segue. Like Jesse yeah. Case yeah. A segue. A segue. That was a Jesse Case segue. I liked Jesse it. Case segue. Trademark awful segues. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> That's amazing because when um when it was just you when and we me started and the show, yeah, it was Andy was the one who'd get all the stick. Yeah. for I was always trying to get clunk, back on track. Clunky and then segues would get pissed off, and now that he's gone, I've let, you've picked up the mantle of segue master. No, absolutely, I love it. Yes. absolutely. Um, no, you guys are next in line for SNL. I'm gonna eventually. My point eventually is just to do this podcast solo, ideally, uh, so, slowly ideally. infiltrate. Uh, no, so we got we got a, a good correction email, um, very sciencey email. A very, yes, and we were joking a little last week about uh, being on bath salts and eating a gentleman's face, right? Um, as is obviously the well-known <laughs> bath saltness uh, thing. But uh, it, so we got the email. I know it was widely reported at the time that the Miami face eater was high on bath salts, but later toxicology didn't find anything in his system except for cannabis. Um, here's the quote. It's, it's while police sources speculated that the use of a street drug like bath salts might have been a factor and experts has ex- have expressed doubt as to their definitiveness. Toxicology reports were only able to identify marijuana and the ultimate cause of Eugene's behavior remains unknown. So uh, keep, keep doing them bath salts. Keep Listen. doing the bath salts. <laughs> Turns out they're totally harmless. Yeah, yeah. Marijuana, however, the munchies can apparently get so bad that you will, <laughs> you, you will eat, eat a gentleman's face. face. So um, to be fair, it was dusted with Cool Ranch. So it's understand okay. absolutely, yeah, absolutely lazy, lazy munchies joke. That's it's not a lazy munchies no, joke. I've I've often dusted my face in Cool Ranch <laughs> when I when I can't afford you know cologne or, or my signature Axe body spray. So the thing about uh, Jesse, he will dust his face in anything, anything. Yeah, I'm big on face dusting, <laughs> face dusting guinea pig. On yeah, the that we have. Um, so yeah, thank you for emailing with that yeah. correction. We it's very important. I know it I'm... is important. <laughs> I, uh, no, it's good I, to know what basalts do and don't cause. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that though, because that was one of those sort of received wisdom. Like, right. oh yeah, yeah, it was on that, and what propagated by the news. Sure, there was. Um, but they didn't correct themselves hard enough. Yeah, there, there was a one about three years ago. I don't know if it was even a big thing in America, but about three years ago, a 
drug that was in the family of MDMA or ecstasy uh, that was v- variously called. Here's here's even the weird thing: the name I'm about to give, no one even called it either. Like someone in the press decided it was called that, and then every newspaper called it meow meow. When no <laughs> one called that, it was meth- methadrone, which is the like not to be confused with methadone, right. which is the heroin substitute. Um, and that's and there was I can't believe it's not heroin, right? Which is the less popular. Which is the less yeah. popular? Sure, sure, sure. And there was a high-profile death on it, and uh, all the newspapers came up with the scare stories. This is the new crazy drug, and it was sold, and it was legal for a while because it was, in as it often the way with designer drugs, the producers of it were one step ahead of the legislators. Right, right. Um, so it was legal. People were buying it on the internet. It was sold as plant food, and. And then there was this high-profile death. So I can't remember my de- the details are hazy now, but some kid died and it was like off his face on meow meow and like these blaring headlines. Off and- his face on meow. meow. I know, He's right? Meow, it meow. sounds like something from uh, from Brass Eye. From if you've ever seen, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I urge you to see. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I urge you to the drug special. But um, it was a Chris Morris series from a while ago, and uh, and it turned out not even in the system. Sure. Like years, like. So a, a month or so later, when the toxicology test came out and the coroner's report was done, and that was subtly buried, like no one mentioned, by which time it had already been brought up in the in Parliament and banned because it killed this kid. Right, right. Like no, Couldn't no. Be. Earlier today, they're still they're still Paul on Washington the plane thing, man. On CNN, nothing's happened. Nothing new is happening. They're getting ratings. That's why they're doing it. I know. It's really depressing. Yeah. Well, it's that's super depressing. There's been other interesting news. You know, there's, there's been, been other been interesting news. Pretty, there's been uh, weird political stuff. Not you know? as interesting to most people <laughs> yeah. who watch CNN. There's been interesting. Well, I don't know if if, it, if this this is something we've all gone through as adults. But you know, there's that time when you turn on the news and realize the girl who was your first kiss in sixth grade threw a shoe at Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Right? No. That's happened to all of us. <laughs> That's happened to all no. of us. We've all had that happen. We've turned that on the news and is seen hilarious. Alice and Ernst getting carted away by authorities. <laughs> wearing flip-flops. Oh two flip-flops God. because she brought her throwing shoe in her, <laughs> in her purse. She brought a separate shoe? Yeah, yeah. She was planning on so, it was a wait, premeditated shoe throwing. Are you Facebook friends with her still? I haven't is this talked somebody... to her. No, this is in sixth grade we dated. This is my first, we dated whatever you can call it, but it was my first kiss. Grade is about 11 years old, right? To be 11 years old, exactly. Yeah, 11 or 12. Um, first kiss, closed mouth, but still like a 10-second closed yeah. mouth on a dare kiss with Alison Ernst. And uh, I wouldn't give her an aim except you can look it up because you'd, she's the shooter. <laughs> you'd, ha- you'd had an open mouth kiss before that? Or no, I, after? I distinguish it because the next summer at, at uh, music camp, I finally experienced the magic of tongue kissing. But, no, uh, it is tongue kissing. By someone who later went on to <laughs> right. pilot a plane into the twins. One young Timothy McVeigh. Amanda Knox. <laughs> right. Um, no, but so this girl, here's the interesting thing, though, because after that, so she broke up with me, and, you know, all comedians have their sort of, like, uh, origin stories. Sure, sure. Sure, the radioactive spider, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, uh, in sixth grade, she got the entire class together. We were walking back from art class one day. This is when sixth grade was still in elementary school, and you'd be in the home, you know, classroom most of the day, sure. go to art class, come back. And I noticed I was walking back, and there's no one really around me. And then I heard my entire class behind me in unison yell out, you're gone. Like she organized the whole class <laughs> wow. to break up with me That's for so her. That's so mean. So you could tell she had the signs even back then. No, I, could, I couldn't tell anything except like I'm the biggest loser in the world. <laughs> Wow! But now yeah, she's showing like, throwing what if shoes she at Hillary Clinton. Shoe at you. What if that's how? <laughs> yeah, that's almost preferable. Yeah. I think to that sad, sad story. It's like I, I would feel bad making fun of this because obviously she's like very unstable. There's sure. more stuff going on. It's just yeah, funny, she also except 
did she did that to me. So it's like I feel justified in talking about her on the show. Maybe it's terrible. Horrible, yeah, it's really like she created. She caused me to have to be a comedian, and then twenty five years later, does me the gift of giving me some material. Also, right. which is nice. Full circle. Like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. She brought a separate. She shoe. brought a, sh- a throwing <laughs> shoe. <laughs> like, she was at. Aren't you meant to take the shoe off your foot and throw? That's the insult. Yeah, because you're so like, passionate about the whatever thing, and then. When it's not even, is it even that insulting in like our culture? It's not in our culture. It's not really it's, that like, insulting. No, no. It's, it's like you it's can come weird, up with something better. What we're leaving out though is like, okay, again, it's like sort of kicking someone while they're down because she's got issues, but um, she this isn't her first. <laughs> she's rush with fame. <laughs> she, she's also uh, she's she's obsessed with James Holmes, the the Batman, the Aurora, the, the Aurora shooter at the Dark Knight. Uh, yeah, yeah, return, whatever the movies, whatever the guy who killed everyone in the movie theater. Um, she like got uh, I think forcibly removed from his trial because she also like blurted out there. She's obsessed with him, and uh, I'll, I'll give you the exact wording. Blurted out against him or yeah, for him? Yeah, obsessed in no, what kind of a way? She's obsessed. I'll just read you. Okay, tw- 20 months earlier, she arrived in a Colorado courtroom with her head shaved while wearing a red dress before declaring she held evidence, quote, vital to the defense of James Holmes. Two deputies oh. quickly escorted her outside. Yikes. She later filed an off-the-wall lawsuit de- detailing her devotion to Holmes, who was accused of killing 12 people and wounding another 70 in that the- movie theater. Uh, she said, and this is Alison Ernst, my first kiss. Uh, <laughs> Andy Woods' James, first kiss. <laughs> James enters my head like Dennis Quaid in inner space. <laughs> what? A timely uh, reference. Remember yes. there was one. And he zooms to my heart and plays with it and forces me to care for him. Jeez. Read the rambling federal court document. Wow. I, seek a, I seek a restraining order to stop Holmes from entering my mind through subliminal messaging and causing me to be obsessed with him on a daily basis. Yeah, so she's schizophrenic. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. But that, yeah, uh, that's but that restraining order was delivered to the court by uh, about 20 to 30 11-year-olds in unison. <laughs> wow. 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 Kara, so, first kiss. Who was it? When? My first kiss. Oh, God. Um, I think it, Brendan Raffel okay. in fifth grade sure. on the playground. No, I know Brendan. Same thing, yeah. though. Closed mouth kiss. <laughs> and you were giggling the whole time through um, your noses or no? I was pretty excited. I don't think I was giggling. Oh, okay. I think I was like, yeah, because he was really cute. <laughs> I remember he was in fourth grade. I was in fifth grade. Whoa, yeah. unheard I, of! I didn't even care. A year difference back then is huge. But I was actually probably his age because I was like the oh, weird okay. young girl in my school. So we were about the same age. But um, and it was big. It was big. But I liked him. Didn't care. Yeah. He's the weird one. And I haven't told you this before, but uh, like at this freaky coincidence, my first kiss was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is really weird. Really weird. But that's just, I guess, that's just a strange connection we got. Yeah. Think. yeah. Uh, wow. Kind of a weird, is, uh, like a very low-key Eskimo brother situation. <laughs> like a, it's like a very poorly written rom-com or right, something. Right. Like, uh, a meet cute where... Uh, right, right. Secretary of Fate. That's what the... <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <laughs> this summer, Matthew Broderick in Secretary uh, of Fate. While we're getting punny, um, it was hard for me to describe the emotion when I read this story about her because it's sort of like, yeah, I am a little bit she did me wrong so obviously you know I don't she's not my favorite person and I hear this news and I'm like there's no word in our language to describe that emotion but I think the Germans have one and it is uh, Schudenfreude yeah yeah absolutely so, yeah, yeah. Schudenfreude yeah. okay that was a long way to go for uh, yeah. okay yes our pun <laughs> quota for the show yeah. um, set it up that you're about to deliver a pun you know I don't think it was completely necessary not, no, <laughs> yeah Kara no weird monologue jokes in your past <laughs> alright fucking take it easy take it easy on Andy <laughs> <laughs> no awful monologue jokes in Kara's history. Let's uh, 
All right, guys, bath salts. Bath salts. No, actually, we have a bunch of listeners writing this week about about uh, <laughs> about things that sort of relate to things that Kara has studied. So I thought we could get into one yeah. person just wrote in because they had read a paper recently that might have cast some light on the long-standing. Um, myth urban legend about humans only using 10% of their brain like that whole thing that's mm-hmm. been debunked yeah, yeah. which no one really knows it where it sort of doesn't even need debunking it doesn't need it's debunking like, of course debunking it's suggests like, that there's a sort of groundswell of like global warming's a myth and no here's why it isn't right uh, but people there are people getting like, neuroscience from motivational posters but or people legitimately think that because yeah. that's yeah. where they get their neuroscience I love, I love that, that idea be... you sort of want to go okay just let me know which which 90% of your brain I can put an ice pick into yeah. right now and right. leave you completely intact. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that also there are kind of historical situations where Phineas Gage, if you guys remember Phineas oh, Gage, yeah, who yeah. had the Favorite. railroad spike through his head and, and he kind of, I mean, he didn't come out unscathed. Ultimately he did die because he had a bacterial infection and he, his personality was changed. He became kind of like a dick after he had a railroad spike go through his head. But, but he was still fully functional. Sure. And so I think maybe that contribute. You know, there's all sorts yeah. of little kind of tidbits that might contribute. I feel like I would just be a dick, too, after that. Like, you had a railroad spike in your <laughs> I head. I know. Like, I that gives you, like, carte blanche. Like, yeah, be a dick to everybody. I don't know if it's, like, related to brain damage. I think you just it be, like... just be entitlement. Like, like yeah. well, you'd be, like, you've gotten just so screwed by the world. You had a railroad spike in your head. And he didn't get it removed right you just had the ends cut off no it flew get... straight through his head oh i thought it was in there no the it didn't it went life. through his cheek out his frontal lobe and basically just like was like like feet like meters away from his head wow. because he was he was using a tamping iron and there's dynamite and once in a while if it sparks from the metal on metal you get yeah. a little explosion and so the dynamite like sent the tamping iron through his head and did he lose could, an eye or anything or not i think he his vision was intact but i honestly it might have gone through his uh, optic nerve i'm not really sure but i yeah. think it might have missed his it optic nerve story. by the way car is a, your second use of the phrase metal or metal in absolutely. one show <laughs> really i picked yeah. up on that as well oh, the spoon yeah, yeah. weird metal yep. on metal on metal on metal uh, but the reason I brought this up was that Matt Matlock, the listener so nice, they named him twice and then put Locke at the end, uh, <laughs> wrote in with an article about how uh, there, one of the reasons behind this might be the fact that uh, there's another, <laughs> this is explaining an herb legend of the herb legend, but one within like the neuroscience community. Um, the, the, the statistic is that there are about 100 billion neurons in the brain is an estimation that people have, have given for a long time. And... Uh, that there are ten times as many glial cells. Sure, that's brain. what I learned, like in in school. Is that a real thing? That's what I learned okay. in school. So, t- so ten percent of your, only ten percent of your brain is neurons. But then, this but you use your glial cells. To, so, what are glial cells? Can you? So, glial elucidate? cells are like there's different types, but they're basically supportive cells. So, they're not informational cells. For uh-huh. example, like neurons, we think of as the cells that have the neurotransmitter that release it, and the next cell takes it up, and and that actually is informational so uh-huh. you've got a bunch of cells in a in a different network and ultimately something happens because of their activity their chemical and electrical activity but glial cells are support cells so you've got glial cells that make kind of an infrastructure around the neuron you've right. got glial cells that clean up all of the garbage that's kind of in the in the holes in your brain you've got glial cells that myelinate the neurons so they wrap themselves around the axons of the neurons to make the action potentials go faster to make the electricity kind of move quicker Ah. down these long cells that's something i remember hearing a while ago is that you sort of you think of a neuron as being like a a cable like a copper cable with plastic around the outside and the current goes through it but that's not actually what happens the current jumps yeah. around the outside from one end to the other yeah it jumps like oh, a, really? like imagine almost like sausages 
and they've got these little kind of the pinch points in the sausage and it kind of jumps in between there. So uh, they're so, going to have to re-edit the matrix now. That's <laughs> you know, a good point. There's so much shitty CGI that takes the other neuron model. I actually took <laughs> I actually took a class in college. I think it was when I was still an undergrad called a, a, a sensation and perception class where we watched whole portions of the matrix and like ripped it apart as to why it would never make sense or right. work. It, how it like doesn't actually compare to real biology and it like fucking ruined that movie yeah. for me. Well, I mean like the idea that like humans would be an efficient battery is ridiculous. Well, the whole thing like, is ridiculous. But the that? whole thing about like if you're like plugged in and then you pull the plugs and you wouldn't have any muscle function, you wouldn't be able to just get up and walk around, your body would never have developed. Oh yeah, all sorts you would have of atrophied from lying there Exactly, and your yeah, your yeah. vision wouldn't work if you were just in your own head all the time. Yeah. And no one all it would have taken was for someone to tell tell them, "Hey, you know, lemons." Put a couple of connectors and lemons, and you can power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can power an alarm clock with that. Just a bit of. Right. Did you have one of those potato clocks too growing up? Totally. Yeah. No, yeah. We discussed the potato clock. Yeah, many potato a time. clocks are fun. Yeah, fun. they're the best. Yeah. What got you interested in uh, neuroscience? I still wanted to talk more about the glial cells. We can talk about sorry. glial we'll cells. Yeah. Let's do, let's I don't know how much more cells. I can contribute about glial cells, but maybe you've got some good stuff. No, in no. Here. I, sorry about that. No, no. I was just like so. This article uh, that was sent in by again Matt Matlock. Um, said that that is a commonly used statistic for the proportion of those cells, but then um, within this paper, they were saying none of the consulted scientists could cite an original reference for those numbers. So that oh, might so also funny. be based on like another thing people just said for a long time. Oh, wow. And then they broke down the different regions of the brain and the estimations for how many neurons there were in each part. Um, and then how many... And basically, like the, the placement of the glial cells, they'd all have to be in one tiny part of the brain and they'd have to be a trillion of them. So like, wait, this number doesn't even work either. What do they think the real number is then? But That's they, so crazy because I, I learned that exact same statistic. <laughs> so that could be that same thing of... Um, I think we talked about it a bit. I can't remember whether we talked about it on air or just after the show finished with Tara. But the thing that for a long time, I remember being taught in school that tongue has different oh, right. I think because uh, we were talking about it with Tatara because she has no sense of smell afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can taste things but people to tell her like oh so you can get like salt on the back of the tongue and sugar on the front and like no that's not yeah they're just distributed everywhere well, you, yeah. well you have taste buds like on your lips yeah so like you can they're eat- different it's not just your tongue it's so all it's, over your mouth it's all bullshit about that and then uh but it's not just bullshit that sort of you get told in school and real scientists were like oh god it was bullshit that scientists thought until yeah because yeah. there's only Recent so years. much you can like study on your own, right? And so a lot of things you just take on faith because they're, they're printed but in I your remember, textbooks or other scientists I might have an mentioned that. Experiment, and again, this must be. Like, I think Mister Wizard did one on his yeah, show, this, like the old Mister Wizard, like the power of um, suggestion and going in, go like confirmation bias and whatever. Mm-hmm. Where doing an experiment where you have a little like a straw that's dipped in like a sugary solution or a salty solution right. and you're blindfolded and they tap into different bits of your tongue and you're like oh I can't taste that there you totally can yeah but <laughs> you just you absolutely can yeah yeah so this this even that experiment to test it is bullshit and no one sort of thought to go hang on a minute yeah, not yeah. one kid was like, no, I can, I can taste it. You're like, well, you, must have, you must have hit the wrong bit of the tongue. With. And Don Herbert's like, you know there's a lot of kids who want to be on this show, right? <laughs> He's just starting to strong arm I mean, yes, it tastes bitter, Mr. Wizard. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> have we posted the link to someone cutting together just 
video of Mr. Wizard being a dick. Like someone puts a guy. I've seen montage. that video. It's great. I'll post it over. At I've never seen com. Mr. Wizard. This Mr. was a, Wizard's bullying. This was oh, a yeah, show yeah. that kids grew up with in America. Of like uh, two generations. My dad grew up with him. I didn't grow up with the, and then with Mr. Wizard. Well, I'm a little bit older than all of you people. Tiny, tiny but bit. My dad. So he did. A, he did a show in like the 50s and 60s, and then in the 80s again when he's like at death's door, he did another <laughs> one. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in the second generation of Mr. Wizard. And so show. you still had Bill Nye, though. I grew up with Bill Nye. No, Bill Nye was Bill a little Nye's, bit too... Uh, uh, I knew Bill Nye from Almost Live, the sketch comedy show he was on before he did science stuff, because that was when I was in high school. Look at you, hipster. Hey, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, Bill Nye, a fellow Cornell engineer. Uh, I don't know why I brought that up. Cornell except, in the house? Yeah. Hmm? No, They're I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> well, I, well, I think last time you said that, we all accepted it at face value and <laughs> took it for the... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, but no, yeah. Bill Nye was a little bit later than me, but did, yeah. Did you know he had a comedy background? That he was. Uh... I mean, I knew that he was. I didn't know he had a comedy background at all. I knew he had an engineering degree, and I knew that kind of the whole empire grew out of like public television in Seattle. Yeah, but I didn't really know what he was doing before. There was that. a Seattle show called Almost Live that became a Comedy Central show in the early '90s, and he had a bunch of re- recurring characters on this sketch comedy show, including uh, the Speedwalker who just fought crime by speedwalking. This is a pretty. <laughs> Silly physical sure, gag, sure. but uh, yeah. Oh. And that was uh, Joel McHale was on that show too. Oh, interesting. Check it out. We'll post links to that also over at probablyscience.com. Um, there is a Cornell story. I don't, I th- I'm sure one of our listeners sent it in as well, but I definitely read it this week. Uh, I don't know. Did, did any of our listeners send in? Because uh, we're, we're mostly doing listener sent in stories this week because yeah, we, we you guys were good them. enough to send yeah. in probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet us at probablyscience. We've got a lot of. Uh, we have, we have really cool listeners, man. We do, and I'm, I'm yeah, very grateful like they it. say those cool things. Really cool listeners, especially by, on a by, hot day like this. By the way, we have on a, on a, maybe... Well, on a, on, a hot day like, on a hot day like this, you get a little parched, I find. <laughs> you do get a little bit parched. You know, because we're here, we're in Southern California, it the sun's warm. in our eyes, it gets warm, and you want a, you want a refreshing, you want to cool yourself off. What do you, what do, you do when you want to cool yourself off there? What better way to do that than with a refreshing Lagunitas? Like... <laughs> Are you talking about uh, some sort of hooch, Andy? I'm talking about beer. I'm talking about fresh brewed in Petaluma, California. I'm drinking some little something something ale from Lagunitas Brewing. Now, is that... Courtesy of a listener named Scott Burley. Wow. Who works for this amazing brewery, and they have become the official beer of Probably Science. So you're saying that they're going to give us beer they're to mention them on air. beer. Like a sponsor. Yes. <laughs> But wow. that doesn't mean that I'm influenced. Like this is also a beer that I've liked for a long time. You guys, you guys know me. I don't lie about beers. You don't. You are so. It's the same way thing. that we we do genuinely use Squarespace. We use Squarespace. Squarespace. We drink Lagunitas. Yeah. Wow. So, so new new official beer of probably science. Smoke them if you got who. No no one else wants any. We could uh, we could put some tea. pictures of that up on our. On our website, that's probably we could we, we could put some pictures of Lagunitas up there. We could link, of course, to Lagunitas website where they have a bunch of different types of wonderful ales, uh, IPAs. They have an Imperial Stout you can go check out. Uh, uh, different types of uh, lagers and ales, like a Chumbawamba song over there on that fucking website. Uh, and uh, and let me tell you something, their website's really nice, really but, nice. But you know, you know what would make it nicer. nicer. Powered by Squarespace.com. Yeah, tell me, Cara, you're someone who who exists in the modern era. Have you heard of the internet? I, I have, and you know what? My website is also powered by Squarespace.com. No it is. You wouldn't lie to us. It is. No, I would not lie. I love wow. Squarespace. Squarespace.com was my first kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very. And that is unlike some people's first kiss around this table. That is something that is not going to let you down. No, because it has a twenty-four hour support. Yep, uh, it's never going to let me down. But Matt, it sounds expensive. Oh well, that's what I thought. 
<laughs> I thought it was expensive, but actually it's remarkably inexpensive and easy. And not only is it inexpensive for most people, for listeners of the show, it is even more inexpensive. <laughs> I, I also known as less expensive. So less it's, expensive. It's, it's even yeah. less expensive. Because wow. you can get 10% off and a free trial by going to squarespace.com and using the offer code probably science. Yep. Sounds difficult to build a website though, you guys. Not difficult at all. I don't think I could do it. No. And, and it, it in minutes. And he is the kind of idiot who kisses a shoe thrower. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you can start with a trial with no credit card required and start building a website today. Uh, it's incredibly easy to use, but again, if you need help, the support is there 24/7. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. It's great. So check out squarespace.com. So we use it, we stand by it. Good oh, and thank you to Scott for getting us this Lagunitas. It's amazing. Wow. Scott also sent in a story a while ago, and we forgot to actually credit him on air. So, oh, I can't uh, remember which right. story it was, but thank you, no, Scott, that was for an, sending the story. that was an ad. It was about how you can drink and drive, and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that wasn't a real science story. Um, he, he's a lobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, like, what if people work for tobacco com- or for alcohol companies, like breweries, did like lobby for drinking and driving? Like the way tobacco people like deny cancer. Like, what if they're like drinking and driving deniers? How could that lobbyists? profit? That'd be an interesting. Yeah, they probably yeah. do. They probably do in a they way. They probably do because wasn't there a whole thing like years ago about happy hour, where happy hour oh, can't right. only be one hour because people would just get so shitty drunk. Well, that's and how then it works. That's kind of how it works in Britain. Where uh, in Britain, uh, until very recently, every pub had to close at eleven. Unless they got, like, a special late license. And they changed the laws recently, but a lot of pubs still close at 11. Yeah. And I, I heard, I, I, this could now be, what, like, received wisdom that I'm spurting out, but I heard it was because munitions workers in the First World War had to be sober at work the next day. So they wow. instituted that rule. And oh, it's just weird. existed for 100 years since. Um, but... Because of that, Britain, I think that's one of the reasons Britain is much more of a binge drinking culture. Because they know they have to finish up by yeah, 11. Yeah, particularly on a weeknight. You sort of get, you don't get to the pub till but do you th- 7 after work, and then you've got like, a few you've hours. Only got to- four hours to <laughs> drink. <laughs> well, par- Parliament cigarettes, British cigarettes, still have a recessed filter because they made those during World War I for machine gunners so they could bite down on it. What? Yeah, they could, so they could bite. No. Yeah, they could bite the end of the cigarette without cotton shooting it. But into we don't mouth. have Parliament cigarettes in Britain. They're not sold in Britain. Yeah, they are. Are they? I've yeah. never seen them. They're like, absolutely the only person I know who used to smoke Parliaments was uh, my friend's ex-wife, who's American. And oh, she used so to get it from America. You've got, you've got one data point? I've got one data point, <laughs> and it comes from America. They're my only experience of it. Hmm. Um, do you think there's a difference, then, between, between uh, but drunks? She would, she would get it from America, though. That's the thing. She wouldn't be able to buy them in I've Britain. actually never... Well, hmm. I've never been to... To Britain, but I have been in many other places. And back when I was a smoker, I never saw parliaments like in other countries. It was always camels. Well, sure. Camels are everywhere. Sh- this might camels be an MGM Lion thing. Th- seriously, this might be something I overheard somewhere that's based on nothing. I like it. Yeah, I'm I sure we'll, it. we'll have listeners write in. We will. Well, I, I get fact checked the most on here because I'm always I believe in everything, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I'm. And always... He only believes everything because someone wants told him to believe everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know. So I'm always dropping dropping hot knowledge see, that's, on the that's show. A, that's an important trait of a scientist is open mindedness. You you also are missing the skeptical part of it. You have to be open minded and skeptical. I'm at too open minded. I had a hemorrhoid. But the... <laughs> you think I wanted to do that? I identify as straight. But the. I think... <laughs> That's a hard. That's a hard balance, though, to have being open, open-minded, an and skeptical. Skeptic. I feel like I'm an open-minded skeptic. It's, no, it's I important do too. to find that balance yeah. because I think too much of one makes you makes it difficult. I think to operate sort of in a scientific yeah. way to like, think scientifically. No, about I, I feel like I'm an open-minded skeptic. I also think of it. 
an open-minded cynic. I think I'm very cynical. Well, here's a story. I w- <laughs> this is a story. I was I've I dub- I've looked oh at God, various different I've looked at du- various different sources, and I checked to make sure the initial source wasn't on April the first because it was quite close to around that time. We did. By the I I thought after we finished the show that was going to come out on April the first, we should have tucked in a bullshit story. So yeah. uh, I apologize. We forgot to do an Can April I- Fool story. Just pick the story that you thought was the least accurate, and let's that assign that. So I'm not looking at. I can't see your computer. I'm uh-huh. sitting behind it. This is not the vagina graph. No, we're going to Oh, okay. Oh, we're <laughs> sent in by multiple listeners. <laughs> if you think we're not going to talk about lab-grown yeah. vaginas, <laughs> come on. Oh, you're wrong, is, uh, girl. Uh, you, Kara, you you're crazy. <laughs> you're no, crazy. this is. Uh, I mean, it's not too far off the mark because it is the penis beasting. Beasting. Oh, the penis the beasting. Guy who had beasting him everywhere to see what hurt the oh, most. Oh, beasting, not like B E A S T I N G. The beasting. We covered penis beasting last week. That is totally what I heard. It's a new thing. It's a new. It's a new move you can do. So we can make it go rawr. Yeah, yeah. Turn it sideways. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I tried beasting last night. Oh my god. <laughs> had to go to urgent care this morning. <laughs> Is that your impression of our roommate? Yeah, he only okay. beasts. <laughs> wow, penis beasting. Uh, penis beasting. Okay. So this is this is one of um yes Andy's fellow alum- alumni. Uh, oh, it is. Yeah, he's a Cornell. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is uh. It was Andy's first hug. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Smith, who was a grad student at Cornell, who also oh, maybe he's not an alum. He's not an alumnus yet. He's he's still there. Right. He's a uh, whatever a pre-alumnus. He's a student. He's a student. <laughs> student. It's yeah. got to be a word. Yeah. Why isn't there a word for a pre-alumnus? A person who's studying somewhere, but they're not done. Uh, so he is, uh, according to this story in National Geographic, it all started when a honeybee flew up Michael Smith's shorts and stung him in the testicles. <laughs> That's his origin story. <laughs> That's his origin a radioactive story. radioactive honeybee? Well, we'll no. see. Okay. He's wow. a grad student at Cornell who studies the behavior and evolution of honeybees. So I guess it's less likely. Like, a... Uh, an unlikely story becomes... Well, I don't know, actually, because on the one hand, he's more exposed to honeybees than the average yeah, he's, person. he's around more bees. Yeah, it seems but more on likely. the other hand, you think you take greater precautions. Or, no, I don't think most scientists take greater precautions. I think they're looser with, with kind of safety. Uh, scientists yeah. who are around unsafe things all the time, get, they're a little laxed. Like right. think, think about yeah. uh, Jonas Salk, that story you told about... I mean, you've worked at your act now. Oh, Edward Jenner, him. you mean? What did I say? Jonas Salk, Jonas Salk oh, was polio. Okay, I'm sorry, yes. But yeah, Edward Jenner is, yes, I, yeah, has yeah. now become a bit of material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, Well, Edward Jenner, the fact that the guy who discovered smallpox, who, the first vaccine, the reason vaccine right. is called vaccine, which is for vaca, for cow, because it was cowpox, but he took some pus from, a cow, from an infected milkmaid's cowpox pox in the late 1700s and injected it into his gardener's son. Without his permission. It's just a thing he was allowed to do. I mean, I right. he you know, probably just told the de- his, I just need your son for an experiment. But he, he yeah. just was allowed to do that and repeatedly... Like he was willing to put... Like, think of how the gardening that wouldn't get done if that guy died. <laughs> right. He was willing to put himself at put risk. risk. He, he repeatedly yeah. then exposed the boy to smallpox. Right. And because the boy didn't die, he's now known as a father of modern medicine <laughs> right. rather than a horrendous child abuser. Right. It's like the the original Everett Coop. You <laughs> see Everett Coop. Wow, man. Um, but Smith is a graduate uh, student. He he. So he got stung in the stung in the testes. Apparently, in this line of work, stings are a common and inevitable hazard. He says, if you're wearing shorts and doing bee work, a bee can get up there easily. Maybe don't wear shorts. Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I remember bee, beekeepers. I'm not going to do a bee work in pants. <laughs> It's crazy talk. <laughs> Maybe wear like you know this beekeeping outfit, uh, but he was really surprised being stuck on the testicles that it didn't hurt as much as he thought it would. 
which got him thinking, where is the worst place on the body to get stung? Of course you think that. <laughs> sure. Um, everyone who works with stinging insects has their own answers, but Smith couldn't find any hard data. Even Justin Schmidt was no help. Um, Justin Even Schmidt. Justin? Even Justin Schmidt. <laughs> Justin wow. Schmidt, if you're a follower of sting sciences, of course. No, of course, of course, yeah. is the famous creator of the Schmidt Sting Pain Index which is a scale that measures the painfulness of insect SSPI, stings yeah. Yeah. Uh, using wonderful synesthetic descriptions that almost read like wine-tasting notes. So it's the National Geographic story, wine-tasting notes of agony. <laughs> like, there's some colourful writing here. Very colourful writing. Wow. Uh, from Ed, Ed Young, oh, an award-winning British science writer. Hey. A friend of yours? I know Ed. First yeah. guess. Oh, you really do? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay, I thought you were continuing You guys know Ed, too? No. Oh. no, no, but he's, a, po- he's, a, he's a very popular science writer. He's oh. very prolific. Says his works appeared in Nature, the BBC, New Scientist, Wide, The Guardian, The Time. Okay, so yeah. yeah, he's... We have no mutual friends. We've already discussed how we have no idea why you're our guest. Oh, that's true. <laughs> we, you, we, we have you, one point of contact. You just came today. You just showed up. I just showed up here. I was, like, wandering around and saw some podcasts. Equipment. And every other time, <laughs> every other time that's happened, it has been a disaster. I won't lie to you. Most times, yeah. it's just been just random, crazy people, just right. interesting people, <laughs> right. grandmas. Just We've drunks, had a lot of grandmas. Mr. Belding. Do you air that? Do you ever air your grandma episodes? The, we, those are in the vault. We have private airings. They're kind of like <laughs> last episodes. <laughs> private <laughs> listening parties. <laughs> So Ed is a colorful writer, and he does write about penis a lot, by the way. He has a very famous story about duck penis. Very famous very duck famous. penis story. Well, I've heard of the, the duck penis story. I didn't know it was attributed to him. Wow. Yeah. wow. Story. Do, you know, do you know about duck penis? And how this, I know about duck penis beasting. The, corkscrew penis. Oh, yep. yes, we did. We covered that. We covered we? that story, yes, yeah, we and covered we, covered, uh, we covered the outcry from various people. We're funding duck penis nonsense! Yes. And then the f- article that was written that was wonderful about... Here's, Here's why this frivolous seeming research is actually important and useful. That was for sure Ed's article. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Awesome. Yeah. In that case, we have. Thank you, Ed. You <laughs> Thank you, Ed. We're yes, familiar with his work. We're a fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just linked off to the, to the Schmidt Sting Pain Index. Does it describe any of the stings as having an oaky finish or anything? Like, what's <laughs> the, what are the wild Animal, terms? the sweat bee, Schmidt Index 1.0. Okay. Description. Light, ephemeral, almost fruity. Mm. A tiny spark has sing- singed a single hair on your arm. Uh, what? <laughs> up to fire ant 1.2. Sudden, sharp, mildly alarming, like walking across a shag carpet and reaching for the light switch. This is, 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 is great. I feel like like Schmidt is going to be the most infamous serial killer name in history. Yeah. This is the. This I should is be reading this more of a Schmidt in more of a serial killer voice. Animal bullhorn, acacia ant. Schmidt index 1.8. Description. A rare, piercing, elevated sort of pain. Someone has fired a staple into your cheek. Whoa. Oh my god. Wait, what is an ele- elevator pain? Elevated. Oh, elevated. elevated. Okay. So, okay. We all, I know, an ele- so, so elevator the- pain, I think, is holding it in. So, <laughs> still the door's open. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's, that's an elevator pain. Um, a bald face hornet is a 2.0. Rich, hearty, slightly crunchy, <laughs> similar to getting your hand mashed in a revolving door. Oh, God. Yellow jacket, 2.0. Hot and smoky, almost irreverent. Imagine W.C. Fields extinguishing a cigar on your tongue. <laughs> this is, is this real? This is, is real. This is not, Schmidt, this is what's not the, the worst guy who one? Got the, what's uh, the bottom of the list? Schmidt is a crazy person. Yeah. Uh, the Red Harvest Durant and the Paper Wasp are both 3.0. Tarantula Hawk, 4.0. Um, oh, four point zero is the highest on this thing. So, yeah. so a let's bullet ant, oh, a bullet ant is four point zero plus. What? Pure intense, brilliant pain, like fire walking over flaming charcoal with a three-inch rusty nail grinding into your heel. Jesus. Oh, oh my ant. 
that's probably one of those like um, jungle ants that are super evil. Well, I remember and reading eat your about. Face off. I remember seeing a story yeah, about from Jumanji, like yeah. just a, something you imagine <laughs> in the dark. I remember seeing some story about a rite of passage, and it was in some tribe when kids hit whatever age, like twelve or thirteen, sure, uh, maybe a bit older, but they had to put their hand in into a glove that was made of some kind of stinging insect faced inwards so basically mm, that sounds you horrible have, yeah it's like the most intense pain uh, I can really it reminds me in seventh grade we had to go to this uh, haunted house and like stick our hands into this thing and they said that it was full of eyeballs it turns out it was grapes but I totally thought it was eyeballs and that was like right of passage yeah it's, it's a very yeah. similar story no, I feel yeah. I feel like <laughs> and then the next one I had spaghetti equally in horrifying and, yeah. no I feel like that's that's kind of parallel to Amazonian pygmy life yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, yeah I often times just really i feel like i get the struggle so uh schmidt recognized that uh pain levels from particular stings do of course vary and depends on where on on such features as where the sting occurred but he didn't say how they vary by body parts enter smith enter smith enter smith from cornell smith Smith. meets schmidt he decided to find out his experimental subject himself so it is still a kind of data point of one he doesn't have much Sure. Range so there's no might. no vagina in this study there's at all. There's no vagina. No vagina. And who's to say that his while his nutsack is insensitive, right. sure. mine or yours might be extremely vulnerable to the bee sting. Right. Also, you might be allergic to bee stings, that's and then it's true. like significantly you know, more it's painful. Significantly worse. I mean, I can tell you that um, I've never been stung by a bee, uh, but what? Uh, no, but. Um, you know, being being stomped with a stiletto heel, for instance, on the nutsack, is I find to be uh, expensive. Pro- well, expensive, and I I don't know the the Schmidt the Schmidt scale on that. I mean, no, okay, finish. Is that, um, yeah, I don't know. Are you allergic to the? I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I've been uh, I've been stung by a few bees. Okay, it's brutal. I, I've never been stung by a bee. I I, I feel like I'm slightly allergic. Like yeah. the pain will last a really long time. It's a really bad ache. I know I'm more allergic to mosquito bites than some people are. You know, like everybody has a low-level mosquito allergy. Right. Otherwise, you wouldn't get all get puffy. The... Sure. But I, I think I'm but more... You go, you I get really, yeah, wealthy oh. and it hurts a lot. <laughs> this this oh, wow. paper, uh, Smith's paper, starts with, Cornell University's Human Research Protection Program does not have a policy regarding researcher self-experimentation. So this research was not subject to review from their offices. The methods do not conflict with the Helsinki Declaration of 1975, revised in 1983. I think the Helsinki Declaration is the thing that stops you from being able to inject children with smallpox now. (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, The author was the only person stung, was aware of all associated risks therein, gave his consent, and is aware that these results will be made public. He was methodical. That's good. He collected bees by grabbing their wings haphazardly with forceps and pressing them against the body part of choice. He left the stinger there for a full minute before removing it and then rated its pain on a scale of 1 to 10. Pain is very hard to measure, but psychological studies have found that numerical scales do a decent job of putting numbers on an inherently subjective experience. He administered five stings a day, always between 9 and 10, and always starting and ending with test stings on his forearm to calibrate the ratings. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I was about to ask that, because I would have thought... Wouldn't multiple stings start to hurt less over time, or maybe hurt more? Yeah, yeah like, do you build up a tolerance the same mm-hmm. way you do with spicy food, or... Stilettos. Or... Which, also, <laughs> spicy food... By the way, going back to the tongue conversation, <laughs> spicy food is just the perception of pain. Right? right, you guys know that with capsaicin, you don't actually it doesn't have flavor. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, it I mean, actually... peppers have flavor, but the feeling of spice, spice is not a flavor. That's yes. actually like pain. your reaction to like tear gas isn't. It's not actually doing something. It's just like your body. It's the immune system's reaction to it that's making you which be is, like that. Right? Which is it's also not... like a really new and um, kind of 
kind of coming up le- uh, place in science is what the fuck am I saying? It's a very new kind of concept in science is um, this co- sort of immune research where a lot of people think of disease as a very specific process and right. they don't factor in all of the kind of prostaglandins and all of the factors that your body puts off when your immune system is trying to fight disease, which oftentimes make the disease feel so much worse they make you feel sicker well that's they, a, that's like, all a, a huge, cold is exactly all a cold a like your, your own body is you're trying to is exactly. trying to kill off like, the virus a lot of times the actual virus is so much less kind of well i have a i have a stand-up bit about this about how you know my my body needs to stop having a zero tolerance policy because like if i get any virus I'm going to have a head cold, but it's like, see what it did. Maybe it just gives me a lisp for a week. Or something. Like, like, I'm, I'm, just try it out first. Yeah, try, try out the fucking virus. Because like, it sucks. Like, that's why, that's why I guess I like believe... all the mucus and the running nose is your body trying to flush out the virus. Yeah, it's and... always your own body. I, I, that's why I, I feel like there's never going to be a cure for the common cold without, you know, immortality or... Or immunosuppressants. But yeah, which did, would be awful. Which is really dangerous. Would, right. Exactly. Would the actual disease, would the actual bacterial infection or virus kill you? If well, that's the question. That? That's, I, I mean, mean there are what, certain that, things that can. You know, there's yeah. certain you can you can die from from strep throat. You know, that's a very easy way to die. Well, actually, but, but if I mean, a, that's that's AIDS doesn't kill you. It's the AIDS sma- doesn't kill small you. Small bullshit virus you get. But there's there's then questions about cancer. Like how much of the process of cancer is really right, your right. own body reacting to the cancer taking over certain organs or taking over certain kind of uh, groups of cells? And so I think it's a whole new sort of part of biomedical research is how much of the disease process is actually your own immune system and how can we treat those things because that's also something that gets when it comes to actually treating diseases that's something they have to weigh up like i know there's been there's constantly changing advice on where on what body scans are good and which ones aren't because people are often getting treated particularly in old age for cancers that they would die quite happily with it never affecting their body and instead their life is being shortened by heavy doses of treatment. And that's one of those, I think, questions that open up a big sort of philosophical conversation about, like, right to life, which is something that in America a lot of people are really scared of. You know, there's only a couple places in this country where um, where euthanasia is even legal with humans, which is insane to me because yeah. we all euthanize our pets, right? It's a very common right. process when your dog gets really sick. Yeah, but we care about our dogs. Gonna, exactly. You're like, oh, well, of course I'm not going to let him suffer. I'm going to put him out of his misery. And he can't even tell you that's what he wants. Right, right. When a human being says, no, I, this is fucking what I want. I'm of sound mind. I'm not well anymore. Right. This would be the more comfortable way for me to go. We're like, no, we yeah. can't. That's, that should not be allowed. The government knows best. We're going to just attach wheels to where your legs used to be and, exactly. and a cone around your head and let you drag yourself around <laughs> the paddock for and another some few morphine. years. So sure. have fun. Yeah. yeah. We, we still haven't gotten to what his actual findings were based on this well, beast thing. So he kept, this up, he kept this up for 38... <laughs> there was a great detail, though. Uh, he kept this up for 38 days, seeing himself three times each on 25 different body parts. Uh, this is a direct quote from the paper again. Some locations require the use of a mirror and an erect posture during mm. stinging, e.g. buttocks. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's just very funny. This is very funny. And there's a chart showing the difference in pain from different positions. We'll post a link to it on uh, rsquarespacepowerprobiscience.com. What are some of the highlights, man? Some of the highlights. Um, top of the head, 2.3. On ear, a scale of 1 to 10, right? On a scale of 1 to 10. Ear, 5.3. Penis, 7.3. High but not Wait, as Where on the penis? Think. Was it on the head of the penis? It's a much more sensitive area of the penis. <laughs> 
You Thank just you the, for, the penis. Thank it, you for that information. Kara. The penis is variable. It seems like just <laughs> no, penis it's a good call. Yeah, the seven point three. Okay, it says it doesn't say head of the penis. Yeah, he probably wasn't willing. He to go probably there. wasn't willing. No, that's uh, that's insanity. That's uh, insanity. Do you want to take a guess at the most painful two spots? Oh, oh, um, uh, armpit. Uh, armpit was seven. Oh, so not as much as after penis, but pretty penis. high. Pretty high. Tongue? Did he do the tongue? He did the mouth. Gums? Uh, he did the upper lip. Oh, God. And that was 8.7. That go. was the second highest. Oh, so I st- we still missed the highest? We're still missing the highest. Is oh. it is it eye-related? Uh, I, he didn't sting his eye, I guess, because that would make you blind. I'm trying to think of the most painful tattoo areas. Um, <laughs> oh, you're someone who has tattoos. I have tattoos. Oh, yeah, I'm trying enough. to think of places that Isn't it that near hurt bones me. that hurt to do tattoos? I don't think so. I think oh. um, bone and like stiff muscle are actually less painful, and fatty areas hurt the worst. Oh. Um, so like armpits, if you think about that, that's very kind you of... You have a tattoo in your armpit? I don't. Okay. But a lot, I know people who do, and they say really? it's horrible. What kind of stuff do they get there? Just, you know, if you get like a sleeve, Shave you me. might wrap it into, <laughs> <laughs> into if you your armpit. This, the, okay. <laughs> right, if you can see this, the bitch fell off. <laughs> I just get Sturgis quotes. I, I just get Sturgis t-shirt quotes. What about tattoos. like the groin? Like groin area. That's Was where that I have high? my no fear tat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The groin area is not on this chart. Not uh, on the chart. The most, okay. the most painful bit uh, is not, I'm going to give you a clue, it's not anywhere near the groin. Nostril? It yes. is the nostril. Yes. Nine yeah. is the nostril. Uh, least painful bits are the upper arm, uh, the skull, and the tip of the middle toe. Interesting. Which are all around 2.3. And forearms, probably not very painful either, right? Oh, that's my painful, least though. painful forearms, tattoo. Forearms were a five. Oh, interesting. Whereas the upper arm was 2.3. Hmm. Isn't it also where there's like a lot of uh, blood vessels near the surface would be painful or not? Your tattoo didn't hurt there? Not at all. No. Where's the most painful one you have? Probably like my horrible tramp stamp that is like, it's really big. So it's sort of half on my ass and that all that fleshy kind of ass area is very painful. I got my chest waxed on kind of a dare once, and uh, surprisingly, the most painful part was the sides of my stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But tattoo. I have one down my. Si- I have a uh, tattoo down my sides and all- over my ribs. It's not so bad, but as you get to the more kind of fleshy area, that's the opposite yeah, of what I heard other people say. Really? I heard other people that's say that when it was on the bone, it was on the ribs. That was that's when what it was I'm not yeah. that at all. Anytime I've had a stiletto stomp on the side of my stomach, <laughs> yeah. so you prefer it in between the yeah, ribs. Yeah, it's always or... a very, very tricky. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it says in this article we might expect that the most painful places to get stung are the sites that have the thinnest skin or that are served by the most sensory neurons but neither factor cleanly explains the results for example the palm with its thick skin hurt much more than the thin skinned arm or skull and the upper lip hurt more than the middle finger even though both are served by similar numbers of neurons I would have thought the lips have way more neurons than the middle finger. I thought so, too. Yeah, uh, I would have thought it's just based on density of more nerve, nerve endings. More nerve endings. I mean, and did he actually sting his fingerprint? You know, I that's where you, you have more nerve endings. And does he ha- yeah, but even then, your finger. lips are more sensitive. Right. I mean, He does say that this is just from him, and other people may have different responses, but so far... But <laughs> he, he said... Although he says from talking to his colleagues, he feels that the rough shape of the map would be similar. And he doesn't see much merit in repeating this with more subjects. (laughs) Although I would have thought maybe like a sideshow performer. Yeah. Like I got, I've met sideshow people people who who spent, who make a living out of torturing themselves in various inventive ways on stage. And I bet a bee stinging demonstration would be. Right. And I can't believe this guy didn't take advantage of the fact that like, just even just grab a friend who has an iPhone and just document this whole process. That would be like the hugest vine ever. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody want to watch like a, if you just like cut together 
every sting, just like a super cut, like a minute long of all hundred stings, just one after the other, every part I, of the body. I want to see him just like reading off of the Schmidt scale as he's getting yeah. stung. Yeah. It's a bit woody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got a good nose. <laughs> right. This guy's like awesome. being flicked by an elastic band. <laughs> <laughs> by a wistful classmate. <laughs> so it has to have something odd in the end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like some, it turns into like some like uh, freshman creative writing. They always do that on the Like wa- a nip from a Siberian dwarf hamster yeah. reaching <laughs> for a cabbage piece but me missing. They always do that on the cheese list. You know, you go to a place that has kind of the wine and cheese and meats like a charcuterie. Yeah. I don't I don't drink but I love me some cheese. And, and you love Lagunitas. But I do love Lagunitas. I, I can if still I were drink. to drink yeah. that would be I can still only afford to eat at places with like laminated picture menus. That's that's where I'm at. Is the, the single sheet laminate. Well, that maybe one, one day we'll one. go. We'll I want go that to one. one of these cheese places because they always do the same thing, these lists, but yeah. they never make it sound appetizing. It's always like with a hint of crunchy dirt. It's <laughs> earthy. Sure, dirt. sure. Of the earth. Like got a shitty, shitty taste of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but just a hint. Just a hint of shitty shit. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Kara, we, I cut you off earlier when we were going to talk to you about your background in science because you have more than most of our guests. And uh, I'm curious. Yeah, about- you actually had my best friend on the show who has a lot more science background. Is that you? Um, you had uh, Crystal Dilworth on the oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. who um, just finished her PhD. At the time, was she done yet or was she still she working? And Alex she were both was almost done. They were yeah, they were done. about. I, I think she was on with Alex Lockwood. Yeah, and they were both in the run up to doing their. I think they, I think they might have even submitted their. Yeah. PhDs and they were waiting for their viral. Yeah, now mm-hmm. they're both done. They're both Amazing. done. They're both doctors. We got them back on other doctors. Yeah, like that's, yeah, because yeah. they're going to be totally different people now. No, absolutely. Because <laughs> I don't think we talk. No, it's we like turning seriously. Yeah, it's like it a, a totally different. No, it's like they're quinceanera. Yeah, it's a different yeah. vibe. Um, but no, I did not. I dropped out of my PhD program. What's so. What was your PhD in? Uh, so I was starting a PhD in clinical neuropsychology. So I did my undergrad in in psychology and philosophy. My master's in biology with a neuroscience focus, and then. I moved to New York and started school at uh, the City University of New York, and I was studying clinical neuropsychology, which is kind of blending those two fields, Mm -hmm. mostly because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and a clinical neuropsych degree seemed like it would have the most options. So it's a research degree. I had to do, you know, I worked in a basic lab, like an animal lab, doing basic neuroscience research. But it's just you and everyone else was animals. A bunch of animals. It was a weird (laughs) lab. Um, Like a monkey assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would have like stayed, goat, I think. Just if that... goat moving test tubes from one counter to another. You got a parrot on her shoulder the whole time. <laughs> I don't think I ever would have left if that were the case. But I, and then you, um, you can, you work with patients too. So you kind of have options. That's pretty cool. But um, I, it, I don't think it was where I needed to be. I really it's liked. It's a long haul. It's a long haul. And honestly, I love teaching. Yeah. I like teaching so much more that ultimately I kind of moved into this SciComm world, which right. is basically just teaching to the public. But you did teach actual students before you got into... Totally. Yeah. Like- I taught both in Texas and in New York. I taught... Um, I was never a high school teacher, but I taught at the college level. And sometimes we would have like gifted and talented high school students who would come and take college level courses. And then I also taught a lot of 101s and some upper level biology And courses. now you do a podcast and... and now I do a podcast. Which yeah. is teaching millions. 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 Of course, millions. I'm teaching millions. And you're 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 basically like the sort of the cool teacher who is accessible but understandable but still knows her shit. That was the hope. I mean I was I, I looked like the other students. I was young like the other students. I mean back in the day, you know, I was teaching 
college when I was like 22, 23 years old. So you were roughly their age. I was roughly their age. I was, you know, had piercings and tattoos and said fuck in the classroom. And it was Did you turn your chair around backwards and straddle it just to get on their level? Just to like like, rap with the kids, you know, to... And go like, Shakespeare was like Tupac, guys. (laughs) I like had them them, like rip their textbooks. Yeah, exactly. No, I mostly taught labs. So lab was really fun because you're up in front of a whiteboard for about 20, 30 minutes talking about the concept. And then the rest of the time, the students are actually doing experiments and you're just there to facilitate and help them make sure that they're doing it the right way. You're like the cool teacher but who knows their shit and we're like the fun teacher who gets fired a few months in for selling weed (laughs) (laughs) and everyone's like we should have seen this coming really (laughs) like looking now I don't think I don't think he has any he wrote the school of life we should have realised that the school of life is he has no qualifications (laughs) hard knocks he's got his PhD from there like is that even a so what were you like in high school Kara how did you uh, if we had met you in high school what would our perception well it depends what were you guys the same in high school just I don't know. I'm I still mean, in high school, so, so pretty, this is exactly how it. Mm. Maybe middle school is a better question. So ooh, because like in high school I looked a little. Di- I was like a weird enigma in high school because I looked a little different than I do now. I like dyed my hair and wore a lot of black, and I mean, I guess I'm kind of like no, that me, now still, me too. I I. I uh... I had like blue. Yeah, I was a total yeah. wreck in high school. <laughs> I like what well, is yes. I, like for real? Oh yeah. Oh okay. I wasn't. Yeah. Sure the, so yeah. No, I, like, I was. Yeah. He's I, a music I, guy. He's yeah. Been I, I, I went for it. I was like a lot of Sonic Youth shows. I, I went for it. So I was. <laughs> I was very much like that, but I was also like a nerd. Uh-huh. I was in all the kind of geeky groups and classes, and then I was weirdly on the cheerleading squad. Oh wow! So I was kind of a strange. You're like Crystal, mm. kind of like the ballerina. Sort of like Crystal, a little bit in that way. Um, but Crystal was homeschooled, so her. Oh really? Yeah, her educational Weird. situation was very different. I was definitely a public school girl, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I went to public universities. I've never attended or worked at a private university, so I very much had that kind of state school, yeah. um, commuter college vibe, which I liked because working with sort of different populations of students and and people who aren't you know. Who are still, I think, really competitive, but who don't look as yeah. good on paper. It's really interesting. So you meet a lot more interesting people that way. And it's probably more interesting to see people that all had to make a choice. Like even people that I went to school with who were really smart, it's still just like people that and I'm in that camp too of just like it's expected you're going to college yeah. after high school. It and wasn't I'm, like you had to like save up money, do a different job for a while, and make a conscious effort as an adult, I'm gonna go study this thing and then totally. I'm, I'm take it really seriously because I'm spending my own money to go do it. A as lot an of adult. my students had kids. A lot of my students were twice my age or yeah. they and, and then you had people that were my age or were younger that were either just really gifted or they were, you know, fucking working full time right, and, right. and you know, whatever. It was all walks of life, which I really liked. And I think That's it awesome. really spoke to how I grew up because my mom was a teacher, still is a teacher, Spanish teacher, and she she taught in inner city Dallas and mm-hmm. very much kind of had that vibe and I grew up around it. I used to go and tutor at her school and wow. do my homework with is her. Is Spanish and... impeccable? Oh no, I did not tutor Spanish. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, my Spanish wow. is horrible. So I am speaking of maybe you'll get some Puerto Rican or Italian listeners writing in. Um nice. which was where I was going with the white people coming. Oh I'm sorry. I thought you just hated white people. I didn't know. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean I'm white too. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah so so hmm. I'm my mom's Puerto Rican um and okay. my dad is uh Italian and she so she was a native Spanish speaker and then ultimately okay. learned to speak English. I mean, when she was, she still like speak Spanish to her. Oh. Um, I don't speak Spanish. Isn't that what? horrible? So she my dad doesn't speak Spanish, so they never spoke it in the house. Oh, do you speak any Italian? Um, no. 
no, no. But I mean, and they're so, so similar. I it's speak weird so. So I like, well, my dad. I don't even know if my dad speaks Italian because oh, okay. he's like second generation, but oh, okay. my mom is first generation, um, and so she speaks Spanish fluently. So they I mean, met they, in the states. They met. Yeah, they okay. totally met in the states. I was trying to figure out the courtship process. It's, if you're like, yeah, he refused to speak her language. Well, and- here's the weird thing, right? <laughs> so my parents met in California, which is very strange. They met like right outside of LA, got married here, uh-huh. moved to Texas, which is where I was born. And grew up converted to Mormonism, and so what? I was raised LDS. What? Like my, I know, oh, like my whole life. What? Did you get, you get the garments earlier. and everything? Uh, so I left the church at <sighs> fourteen. Which is when a, you get the garments? You get the garments if you get married in the temple. And so my father has the garments. His wife has the garments. So you've seen the garments? Totally. My my parents wore garments, and so but I left. Sponsored by the word garments. Yeah, yeah. Magic underwear, as they say. But I yeah, left yeah. the church at fourteen, which like kind of in some ways broke up the family a little bit. What? Like it was not it was not an okay thing for me to say that I'm an wow. atheist and leave the church and be a non-believer. So that's a, a whole yeah. At fourteen. Fourteen. So I know it's kind of young. School. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's ballsy. That's really ballsy. So yeah. did they like stop? Hmm. Uh, they couldn't forcibly make because like I I wanted to stop going to church just because I didn't want to wake up early on Sundays, but that wasn't a good enough reason. Like, no, I, I kind just of had said, that. I don't believe in God. I could have stopped <laughs> going. Well, so my parents were divorced at this point. My dad, I think, had remarried his wife, and they were still very Mormon. And my mom sort of left the church when they divorced. Mm. So you can't do Mormon divorce. Uh, You can do Mormon divorce, yeah. And so I was living with my mom most of the time, and I would go to my dad's every other weekend, but we always went to church with my father. And as a Mormon, church is like a huge part of your life. I went to seminary at 6 a.m. every day before school. It was crazy. And so I remember talking to my father for months and saying, "I I don't think I believe this. I'm having real problems with it. And ultimately, he said to me, as long as you live under my roof, I have a moral obligation to God to force you to go to church until you're 18. And of course, at the time, I was old enough kind of to say, like, I'm at an age of consent, like, maybe are you giving me that ultimatum? And ultimately, I chose to not stay with him anymore, which was a tough decision to make. But honestly, I think a lot of people who have left the church in some ways liken it unto the struggle that, you know, like a lot of my LGBT friends went through kind of coming out, right, coming right. out as an atheist or coming out as gay to the people who around you have different expectations and growing up in the Bible Belt, you know, you're yeah. supposed to be a believer. And so being right. an atheist is not really smiling. Because upon. it's not from their point of view, it's not just my kid is now going to hell. It's also what will the neighbors say? Exactly. What will, the, yeah. what will everyone exactly. else say? There's a lot of it. And the, thing yeah, I'm sure it is. And, and the same, I'm sure, is absolutely the case with your weird atheist daughter or your weird gay son. Like, yes, exactly. And there's this whole, like, not only what will the neighbors think and you're going to hell, but this intense emotional responsibility as a parent because the truth of the matter is these people actually believe that this is a huge sin like one of the biggest sins that you can commit so my father ultimately feels incredibly sorry for me and being in that mindset and that's what took me many years to understand and again that's probably the same with the lgbt kids parents where where they truly believe that from the point of view of someone who's both an atheist and thinks they have absolutely like there's nothing fucking not normal about Mm -hmm. how they are you think these parents are crazy mad bigots but like sort of seeing it from their point of view they genuinely passionately believe exactly that that an all-powerful being is saying that that is wrong Mm -hmm. it was interesting with me because i was raised by atheists but uh and and i'm also an atheist but but um my parents were both sort of the black sheep of their family so they already sort of had that struggle for me yeah 
You know what I mean? I'm like, interested like, to see how many young people kind of now and in the coming generations actually have that kind of an experience because we're seeing that non-believers are the biggest growing quote unquote religious group like a lack of religion is the largest fastest growing group in the states and so I think a lot of young people are starting to have that experience either they were raised by atheists or now they're having kids right and they're atheists and they're going to raise their kids as atheists and I'm so fucking jealous of people who grew up that way but it is interesting to see maybe I'm a more passionate atheist because there's like a rejection I'm almost of certain mainstream are. religion because of that like well, a couple of people I know very well including like two people I have lived with like Emery Emery who runs the Alden Atheist podcast who was very very Christian and, and drastically lost his faith mm-hmm. in his in early to mid-adulthood and nick duty who's been on the show who i used to who i used to live with back in london uh he he's still the only non-catholic member of his family Mm -hmm. in a family that includes nuns he's got one of his brothers is a priest wow and he and both of them i think are far more passionate about their atheism than i was raised jewish i had you know i had the mitzvah and everything but my parents my family were always like they were never dogmatic about it and we were always fairly lax we generally we'd go to the synagogue on like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and a couple of other days and we'd go there for weddings and mitzvahs but we weren't like every Saturday we and weren't it's there also, and it, we just, it, for me it's also culturally just drifted away you know I think that in the UK and it's changing now because it's become so kind of Americocentric but I think culturally religion in the UK is just kind of meh it's, you know it's like it's meh absolutely the case which is weird because America has mandated constitutional separation of church and state right. and yet everyone running for political office has to make a big play of their religion yeah whereas Britain is well, the opposite Britain the, <laughs> the head of um, the queen who is you know the the leader of the country, the constitutional leader of the country, is also the head of the Church of England. Yes. Uh, so there's a constitutional linking between church and state, and yet... People Tony, don't talk about their religion. No, and yeah. in fact, Tony Blair, for example, hid how Catholic he was until after he came out of office. Like, it was once he'd already stopped being prime minister that he really? was more open about the fact that he was... He had deeply held religious yes. beliefs. Yeah. Well, there was this thing. I mean, I remember being raised to. Uh, you're always taught, oh, America was founded by people that wanted freedom of religion from England, but they were Puritans. Like it was founded by people that England was too sinful for them. Yes. <laughs> they, like, well, they to be like, free they to wanted freedom them. from liberal religion. <laughs> to right. To some more extreme. No, that religion. was the thing. Is like literally they like they're like. The Mayflower, like, existed because they, like, didn't like cleavage. (laughs) You know what I mean? So they, like, came over to, like, I'm going to wear a belt buckle on my fucking hat. And, like, you you know, that's what America was founded by. So it's not this, like, reverse thing. We always think of it as, like, no, man, they were, like, hippies that came over. It's like, no, dude, these people suck. (laughs) They were, like, like, hippies' parents. were like, well, if you aren't going to sort your things out, we are going across the ocean, young man. Right. right. I want to wear a belt buckle on my hat. (laughs) Right. I've had enough. Non-belt buckle hat No, these people so supported hiding your genitals, they had other buckles. (laughs) Yeah. 
like a, a guy's showing a, too much forehead. He needs to buckle that up. You that, a buckle that of, hat buckle is there as a spare buckle in case your <laughs> right. crotch buckle belts. You've got like, no, you, you can need buckles in your buckle. shoes. Oh my God. They need all the buckles. And it was like. But but then ultimately, we did have this sort of French influence, right? This this When it came to actually drafting up the Constitution and writing all of these governmental Well, there was the Enlightenment theory. There was a lot yeah. of Enlightenment influence, which was very, not anti-religion, but very separation of church and state. It was ultimately, I mean, a lot of our founding fathers were non-believers. They or might or been, Unitarian or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah. kind of secular deists. Absolutely. Who, who felt like it was yeah. really important that we can learn from religion, but the minute that we start mandating religion on the people we're just as bad as I mean, other Kara, kind of- if you if you believe that's george washington on the dollar bill that's fine with me <laughs> all right but you clearly never studied the bavarian illuminati so if you want to go back and you want to discuss this the similarities between young adam weishaupt who, and 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 george washington in 1776 i mean if you want to talk body doubles that's fine <laughs> you know study the etchings it's right there it's right there to look at all right. So yeah, yeah, founded by George, whatever, man. Whatever, founding fathers. It doesn't matter, man. <laughs> We've uh, It was we written shit. on him. Shit. It was written on him. <laughs> the goddamn declaration. <laughs> Do we have to? Have we, Annie, we got time to fit in a couple of. Sure. Uh, I feel like we have time for one more because I have a heart Jesse's out. Jesse's got to run. Okay. Or, or you guys, nowhere. you guys keep going. But um, well, do, do we want? Uh, can I, like, guess decide? Because you're probably quite familiar with both these stories as a science journalist and broadcaster. <laughs> we'll see. Would I have prefer... not been a straight science journalist for like a year. So. Well, we've been teasing this one. Well, story. Do, we, do we want? Yeah. Do we want lab-grown vaginas or do we want robot cockroaches? Robot-infested cockroaches. Oh, I want lab. Grown vagina. Yeah, I we, think I think it's only this, fair considering that the beasting guy had a very male-oriented study. Right, right. I think that's about fair. He ignored kind of the the feminine perspective on that study. That we'll talk about the lab. I, I honestly though have not read the lab-grown vagina story. I've just seen it's it not, cited it's, everywhere. It's uh, it's a, it's a headline piece. Not not really. Not a ton to it. I, I don't think as far as like breakthroughs in tissue engineering, I can't really tell if this is stuff that couldn't. Uh, happen before now like, i think this is just kind of like the next step so in- but i want to know why who needs a lab grown oh, vagina that's the interesting thing uh the four patients in the study had meyer rokitansky custer hauser syndrome which affects women who are genetically and hormonally normal but have an absent or greatly shortened vagina and i can't believe like four scientists were fighting to have the shortened vagina disease named after yeah, them all okay would be like you know what? Uh, I thought it was Bro- discovered. Brokatansky, you can have this one. I'm going to wait for the next. I disease. thought it was discovered by a law firm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that girl we gangbanged last night had a real oh, short oh, vagina. Oh, oh, Jesse. 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 It's a law firm Jesse. joke. Okay. <laughs> all right? They're cokey. They're weird. Yeah. They do a lot of. Uh, right? So, and we all at the table, I'm, right? I've under- met them all at my stiletto club. We all have normal length vaginas. Yes. Well, we understand, right? Or I'm hoping that, and, and the guys listening understand the difference between the vagina yes, and the vulva. Yes, actually the yes. canal. We're talking yes. about the inside. Yes, the we're not inside. talking about yes. uh, anything outside. Yes, we're yes. talking about making a tube. A we, tube, basically. Yes. A tube. Lacking... It's an interesting shaped tube, but it's a tube. It's not it's a tube. Don't get too high on oh, your pussy. Okay, Come okay. On, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why did I? I don't speak Andy. like that. What am I? Sponsored by Lagunitas. Oh. The new. Listen, this little something. The official beer. Probably science that Andy's Loosen enjoying. Loosen me up a little bit. Jesus. Oh, oh, this is not that kind of podcast. Um, right. Yes, but no, the interior we're talking about, and this is a, the syndrome that uh, gives you either an absent or shortened vagina and usually a missing or defective cervix and uterus. Oh, wow. Um, so so with this, so all they added, though, with the vagina, not the cervix no, or uterus. Nothing, nothing uh, you know, as, as far as like reproduction, nothing's different. It's just like it having makes, a longer sock inside. The it, so it's for sexual it, 
sexual sex is usually painful for women with this condition uh there's more than half a million are affected worldwide um wow and uh it does say also a team leader anthony uh atala has used a similar technique to this one to build replacement bladders for nine children in need and has also implanted urethras in boys. Well, but they did say to be long-term confirmation of success in that case. Yes, I don't know if, that's, if that has worked. But yeah, they said the technique for this was to create sheets from biodegradable scaffolds and epithelial and muscle cells of four girls aged 13 to 18 with MRKH syndrome, and they were then hand-sewn into a vagina-like shape, in the author's words, and implanted... Um, each vagina was shaped by the uh, Federico Gomez Children's Hospital in Mexico to best match the body of the woman it was for. Um, so yeah, I, I actually like, I, I googled epithelial. I didn't know. I don't know much. Uh, biology is definitely our weak our weak point on so this. So epithelia is like skin, or it's like a lining. It's like a lining anywhere in your body. So your epithelial okay. cells would be like skin cells or epithelial cells. The inside of your mouth, the inside of vessels. Sorry, I'm slightly... So as to be distinguished from muscle cells or... Yes, exactly. Uh, so it's like a histological term. I'm okay. slightly losing... Sorry, you were being incredibly useful and informative just then, and I wasn't paying full attention because, Jesse, you might remember last week <laughs> when I showed up with a fl- with the uh, insect uh, repellent spray. Yes, that two is kinds. designed with a... But the, 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 that one in particular is designed with a, uh, a nozzle that sprays the thing in a fine it's, mist. It's not the one you put on your skin. No, that's the one no. that's just... It sprays it in a fine mist to repel the insects, but it appears to have broken. <laughs> the nozzle bit's broken, so rather than fine misting, Jesse was just confusedly staring like a, a jet of <laughs> a jet of bug spray. Repellent. Well, no, uh, Kara said she's particularly uh, vulnerable to mosquitoes. I didn't oh, wanna, that's really well. No, sweet, I saw actually. one fly by. I thought I'd give it a give it a fogging, give the area a fogging. Um, you just essentially well, like you. super soaked this. <laughs> I essentially, yeah. That's good. No mosquitoes are going to yeah, get in yeah. that that one centimeter wide thread area. <laughs> it's not happening. Good um, work. Good work. So Ad- Adam Broman and uh, in fact, two Adams, two Adam, Adam Broman and Adam Knox, who are both listeners of the show, sent in the. Cockroach. By the way, his last name is Broman. Broman. Yeah. His last name is. Ali Bro- Warren was the one who yeah. sent in the lab-grown vagina stories. So well. thank are- you, Ali. So, so all of the researchers on the lab-grown vaginas were also men. Uh, um, I'm not totally. Let's see. Um, we're just not making are. a lot of headway in the sciences <laughs> when it comes to female. I, well, I also realized we should have done that. We should, there's so many good stories we should have covered this week. There was a story about com- how computers are better at spotting fake expressions of pain better than people, this which is, would have tied in so neatly to the bee sting story. That's true. This is weird. Yes. Or the God, bee guys. sting story. <laughs> bee sting Did you read this part about on the on the <laughs> vagina thing though? Yes, I watched the video. And we're going to post this also over at the site, so you can go check out and, w- and look at the actual uh, no, but steps how, how they made them. Make they hand sewed it. Yes, you were talking about that as you were spraying your stuff. <laughs> oh, <really> sorry, sorry. <laughs> does that does it upset you? The hand sewing. The video no, shows it said, the sewing. It's, no, it's just so crude. It says these were then hand sewn into a vagina like shape, which I just think this has been created by thirteen year old boys. This is, we've all done this. We, yeah, <laughs> like they've just taken them off Nike trainers and moved them onto vaginas. Well, well no, it's like. It just shows it, and it's just like, oh yeah, that's a Ziploc bag full of conditioner. That's what that is. That's what, that's what they made. That's what they used. <laughs> oh yeah, we're gonna give you a new vagina there. <laughs> uh, no, you should watch the video over on our site though, because it is interesting. Because it is like uh, tissue thin, like this thing that they tissue actually thin. tissue thin. Tissue thin. It's ridiculously thin. And, and that's the Cornell coming guess, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When they when they when they implant it, I guess because it is you know made of actual 
epithelial cells, cells and muscle cells, it does you know become part of your body and must get fleshed out more thoroughly because otherwise you look at this thing like there's no way this is gonna withstand like a real good pounding. You know, this thing is gonna take. But uh, it's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty thin. Uh, it's <laughs> what? I don't know. It's, it's two beers in. Not I, even. Not even two beers. Oh my no god! Excuse. I don't know if this Lagunitas was a good idea, Andy. <laughs> Scott. This was a horrible idea. What's the percentage on this? It's got to be a high percentage. <laughs> 7.5 it is. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. God. Andy. Man. No, uh, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. That's something else this, about uh, lab-grown vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, no. <laughs> hey, you're going to need thicker tissue than that when you're with the woodman. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, though, obviously that the reason that this story is being passed around so much is because it's got vagina it's in the headline. It's funny to talk about vaginas. It's sure. funny to talk about vaginas. But lab-grown organs are... Yes. It, it's not that they're nothing new. They are pretty new, um, but they have been happening for the past few years. And, and every time we can grow something new in a lab and actually successfully implant it into a person, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And we're getting to the point now where I think that we're going to be able to ultimately make lab-grown food sources soon like lab grown meat well they did do they had that burger yeah but it was like $30,000 yeah so and apparently not that nice not that good I think what but then again you know a lot of they probably put more effort into the actual construction of it than the recipe probably I don't and like I, consult I think with a top part chef. of the issue now is that we can grow or they can it's very difficult to put down a scaffolding to grow all sorts of if you think of like if you hack off a chunk of your arm mm -hmm. and you look at it it's got all different types of cells but they're not all mixed together perfectly you've got you know the blood vessels are actually in the blood vessel shape and then you've got muscle tissue and you've got fat kind of surrounding the muscle and you've got the skin on top and and there are nerves and when you eat meat meat tastes good because of the fat meat looks the right color because of the blood and the muscle tissue in and of itself is just kind of gray and weird looking and thin and that's what they've been able to grow now is separate blood vessels separate muscle separate fat and so it seems like the most likely way that we're going to be eating in vitro meat mm -hmm. soon would be kind in, of ground beef or you know right. chicken nuggets like something where you can form it by well, grinding right. all those things because that together. is kind of how mcdonald's and those exactly. companies make those we things anyway they like, that anyway i think when they're like it's 100 percent beef and you go well yeah what you, it is if you sort of count 100 percent beef as anything that's been pressure hosed off the carcass of a cow and reformed Ex into the well, shape and the, of food the scary thing is i love how they came out with this whole campaign like a couple of years ago where they're like now with a hundred percent white meat and you're like what was what it was or like it it's a hundred percent beef like yeah. what what non-beef was, was in it that's but so also scary. just proper burgers aren't a hundred percent beef and like like well-made ones, they mix it up with like spices and oh, maybe like true. onions and other oh, things. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not, we have no problem with that as long as it's yeah, and, yeah, and often like some it's, sort of flour or something. It's like ten percent horse. We have what, a problem with yeah. a well, little bit. I, and I don't mean to take this down a philosophical road, but I mean, at what point do you? I mean, the weird thing with growing things in a lab like that. Um, at what point would you consider something even to be alive? Yeah, because I, what we're doing now with factory farming. You, yeah, yeah. Is I mean, the, basically, the chickens now that like McDonald's is using—they don't have feathers, they don't have bones. They they have they have a mouth and an asshole. But they do have a brain, and that's the scary part. So so we use the word in biology. We use in vivo and we use in vitro. So in in vivo means you're doing experiments in a living animal. In you guys remember when in utero came out, bro? <laughs> <laughs> that's in the uterus, actually. Yeah, but in, in yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, in vivo or I'm sorry, in vitro means you're using living tissue, but it's not in an animal. So you've taken living tissue and you're growing it outside of the body so when we talk about this type of meat it's in vitro meat meaning it's 
only muscle it's only blood vessel there's no brain so there's no suffering involved because the way you make it is you take a punch biopsy from a living animal mm -hmm. and then you use those cells to grow kind of like stem cells to grow a bunch sure, more cells. Sure. this punch biopsy that sounds like the ne not necessarily ethical part of it yeah but I'm I mean a honestly punch to a cow wouldn't you rather take a whole punch to a cow's leg one time and feed the rest of the planet from that one cell line right. than murder millions of cows in these horrible like torturous conditions and factory a, I, farming and the cool thing is i take a punch sample to my leg yeah. if anyone wants to eat reconstituted me yeah exactly I, I'd, I'd volunteer yeah. that i don't think it would be that harmful for the animal but the cool thing is then you could eat things that like you could eat like i don't know hammerhead shark and leopard panda. and all sorts of you could eat panda <laughs> and it wouldn't be unethical how cool is that God, i bet they taste would, good yeah, oh it'd be God. the end of they, factory farming it's adorable like, <laughs> Like I don't, I don't, I don't eat cows right now, but I'd eat, I'd eat a fucking panda. Well, that's well, the thing. Yeah, would vegetarians start eating it? Some if might. It was, uh, yeah, suffer free. I know. Well, Jesse, well, neither we, neither yeah, of us eat meat. We're both so. vegetarians. And is um, it is it for ethical reasons or because you don't like meat? Ethical. So, if so I, I think, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like like the way the way you're describing it's a pretty hard sell. I think with enough, if I had enough info there, I would, I would, uh, I would certainly. I mean it. Yeah, I mean, that would kind of win me over of, okay, there's no nerve endings, there's no brain it's connected to, you literally grew this in a sterile environment. Well, and the hope is soon you'd be able to do it yourself. Like, people envision a future with these little countertop boxes in your kitchen where you get um, a sample in the mail, you order your sample. Hydroponic? And... You, and Kind of. Except, Hydroponic chicken. Yeah, there'd be some water probably involved, <laughs> yeah. so sure, sure. And you'd put the little sample in and you'd grow your own meat, your own steak. It, kind of similar to using a 3D printer to make a pizza. There's these food I'm printers listening. now, which are We've so cool. Established, I don't know if you find this with your own show, but we found 3D... God, our listeners our love listeners a 3D love printer 3D story. 3D printing, <laughs> 3D printing of food, I think, is going to revolutionize. Like the, It's going to put an end to world hunger. I really wow. think so. Because if we can grow meat... In the lab, and if we can grow food from small kind of, it's kind of human kibble-ish, which freaks some people out. I love the idea. If I could eat cereal every day and it was fortified, like, you know how dogs eat dogs? Right. It's like, that's full nutrition Make and kibble. People dog food, it's, it's okay. That I actually tasted that. Yeah. good, and you'd know you were getting, like, a healthy meal every single time. Mm. I think and, the, thing that, the thing that's going to take time and effort, because I remember... Like seeing stories from the sixties, where by now we're meant to be just eating up. They think we're going to have like food in pill form, yeah. and that's yeah. all we need. And then, and and what actually ends up, what's actually happened in the last twenty years or so, as that technology has increased, is people like, no, but we like all the trappings exactly. of food and the, you know, the the process and the and the the textures and the the build up of different flavors and everything. Well, my question yeah. is, if we're growing this food in a lab, how are you supposed to give it a good pounding? You know. <laughs> um... Huh? How are you going to give that cow a good pounding? Because I, I don't. I was trying to do a callback, but every, everyone had words that weren't shown. No, everyone had already suddenly. Everyone had guy this episode. Everyone had already blocked out Andy's joke, yeah, yeah. so I didn't get a laugh again. I, I um. So, but but I do I do think I think you're right. People like, but that's also a first world concern, and and it's the same Absolutely. reason that we are still flying around in airplanes that are the cigar with wings on the side design. It's the least efficient, not the least, but it's a very inefficient air plane design and any um, researcher who's working on this in the biomimicry field mm -hmm. says that more of like the the bombers that kind of flat like the sort of stealth like the stealth bombers <laughs> <laughs> calm down puppy calm down uh, like the stealth bomb are much more uh efficient way to fly but people wouldn't feel comfortable sitting inside a plane with no windows with no windows anywhere near them so we literally continue to fly in an inefficient way 
because of psychological oh. reasons. I'd love to, like if no window. We have the technology to have cameras that can show that can oh, fake yeah. windows. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, I know this is a sort of semi-related. I think Elon Musk and Tesla are the ones who have applied to the DMV or whatever or whatever government department it is that deals with these kind of things to be allowed to have a car that doesn't have uh, side windows, side mirrors rather, oh. and use cameras instead because the mirrors are an extremely inefficient. Is it that big of a drag though? It's enough, particularly if you're working in a field where you are like luxury electric cars where you're looking for every percentage difference. It's enough to make a difference to fuel economy. Wow. I mean, do like NASCAR drivers have side mirrors? Probably not. But I'm saying, like, nobody buying any street legal car is ever going to be using it at the speeds where that's going to matter. But it no, will but change I think the way that make the car difference. looks, too. And also, there's... drivers still have headlights painted on. They do? Yeah, they're not real headlights. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> they don't have headlights, but it's like the... Yeah, they just have, like, these white headlight-looking things painted on, so people that's are fast. like... I never thought about like, that. It's a car! I never thought about that. <laughs> Look, man! Because if it didn't have a... What's that? <laughs> headlightless car it's an abomination there's <laughs> some sort of electric couch moving <laughs> crazy talk there's a, a horseless carriage I don't, I don't like Adam this Adam and Steve what, what is <laughs> Adam and Steve <laughs> I'm trying to find I found an article about it but I can't see the original article I read mentions specifically the a percentage efficiency that and honestly it'd probably be safer I would think that if you could get a video feed because that you could eliminate blind spots you could eliminate blind spots you could actually yeah. have them um, zoom so that the perception is exactly the distance from your car right. instead of the you know objects and mirror closer than they appear but I mean, that, everyone acts song. like that's something that's like why can't they fix that it's like well it's because it's it's a convex mirror yeah. so you can see more that's how you can that. see more that's of your not, car but with like, a lens you could you know so but you still have to choose You'd have to zoom it. Right. Yeah. So how would you... But you'd probably see that? it somewhere on your windshield. It would be like a heads-up display or something crazy. Yeah, yeah and it could be also combined with some kind of intelligent processing where it'll also tell you and give you... It'll beep and do all the yeah flashy lights. And mm-hmm. I still drive an old-school car. I don't have like the backup camera. And how I have, I have crank car? windows. Oh, I do too. Oh. I mean, my car's not that old. How old's your car? It's not that old. It's like a 2008. <laughs> oh, 98 Saturn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> manual transmission. Oh, see, mine's not manual. I have a 2008... Toyota Yaris, a little hatchback. A that little was the car that I destroyed car. in Nicaragua. I drove a Yaris through like three feet of water. <laughs> <laughs> the Yaris is only it like three feet well. tall. How did yeah, you do no, that? It was, yeah, it was a horrible <laughs> idea. Don't drive a rental car without insurance in Nicaragua. If we didn't already talk about that when I was on that trip. Um, By the way, we didn't get to a story that a listener sent in that was directly related to the vagina story, but not as puerile. But uh, Duke University recently did successfully uh, grow a self-healing engineered muscle that they attached to the back of a rat. And I think that was the first, I'm not sure what the exact first of of it was, but um, you can see a video that we'll also post over on probablyscience.com where you can see that the, the muscle they created also like got vascularized or whatever. It would, oh, like, that's cool. Like blood vessels grew into it. It worked its way into the yeah, yeah. And they did physiology. It. Oh, so it's basically with, a giant tumor. It's a right. muscle tumor. There is oh, one, ca- okay. um, Volkswagen has a car that you can only buy in Germany and Austria that has... Um, their hyper-efficient 271 miles per gallon XL1, oh. which is ludicrous uh, when you think about a lot of cars still on sale get about 30. Um, oh, that's even good. In LA, yeah, 30 yeah. miles per gallon is and, good. And this car has replaced, you can sort of see a picture of it here, they've, they have replaced the side mirrors oh. with a camera that's then inset into, a, into the door. 
Um, but it's, but yeah. you legally can't have that in another country, so you can only get that XL1 in Germany and Austria. And that's that whole thing where just the regulators are not keeping up with the technology. Here we go. Yeah. Exterior side mirrors. This is what I was looking for. Increased total aerodynamic drag by an average of 2 to 7%. Wow. wow. So that's quite a lot of drag. And I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say what that converts to in terms of fuel efficiency, but that's not inconsiderable. But with an electric you could do car... You could do so much. You could, like... Do weird special effects on the screen where it looks like your car has wings. <laughs> you, know, like, you can put like a little gremlin that's on the side of your car, like right. for Christmas and stuff. Or you could or do something like you could you could constantly pretend you're like outrunning a Tie Fighter. <laughs> like uh, you just see one in the rearview mirror. Like, how sick would that be? So many good things. Car, uh, where can our listeners uh, find more about you and find your show? And- oh, um, so my new podcast is called Talk Nerdy with Kara Santa Maria. So obviously, you can find it iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, all the normal places. You can also go to my website, carasantamaria.com slash podcast is where you'll find the podcast. My newest nice. episode um, features Brian Sweetek, who is a dinosaur writer, nice. uh, paleontology writer. Very interesting. You can also go to carasantamaria.com slash store because I've started selling merchandise to help support my oh, podcast. Sweet. Um, awesome. So cool t-shirts and slap bracelets and weird stuff like that. Why don't we have bracelets? I know. <laughs> slap bracelets, cool. you guys. Um, we're such yeah. a shambles. We're on the, what, year three of this thing? We don't even have like a store We have two up. t-shirt oh, designs that we've talked about on the show. We yeah, have never put into practice. We're gonna, we I'm, I'm going to help you guys it. out. You've I've been, got some good distributors. Been, I'll help you guys out. You've been out. doing this a month. Yes, I have like, five episodes. And, yeah, and you're, like, <laughs> you're like, look, I'm doing a live tour soon. I got... Um, and you can also you follow me on Twitter. That's the easiest way, at Cara Santa Maria. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having Sight me, guys. Sight and trusting that this was a legitimate operation. It was very <laughs> open-minded. Well, no, I just wandered you. into your backyard, yeah, yeah. remember? So. And, yeah. and as always, any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you'd like us to cover, probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience, or you can message us on Facebook as well. And uh, write nice things about us on iTunes. Give us nice ratings. Yeah. That really does help. It does make a difference when you guys all spend that extra second or two just to click on the ratings there that helps boost our standing in the charts it helps and a ton it does help a lot apparently writing things helps us even more so thank you i know a lot of you have written nice, nice things nice and we things. appreciate that nice, nice things nice things but it doesn't even like there's no need to bring up things like body shape or anything <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast <laughs> sometimes we have like one beer too many and say like one thing we regret <laughs> sometimes you say one some, sometimes like, you call it a pussy sometimes <laughs> you do but the you know words don't come as quickly as they should because it's it's like lagunitas ship in a minute like we lost it within a minute. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. All right, bye, pussies. <laughs>